0: Good to be here in Aventura, even though everything to me in Florida is Aventura. Somebody asked me, where do you know this such and such from today? I said uh, he's in Miami, but I think it's Aventura. I'm here for years I still don't know anything. The Zad Hashem, the shiur today will uh, be for you. Ilui Nishmat Sarabat Sivio. Uh, may Hashem uh, bring her uh, neshama, mala mala, in, in Gan Eden b'zot Hashem, and give uh, a lot of atzlacha to our uh, granddaughter, who is constantly supporting Kiru, Boch Hashem every month, every time she has an opportunity. Uh, Zod Hashem Hakadosh Baruch will give her zivug, give her atzlahah rabah, give her parnasat tova, refuah nefesh, refuah Guf, goof, chaim arukim shlemi melleim Torah mitzvot, and chasadim. And Be'ezot HaShem, for all of Am Yisrael that understands the magnitude of doing Kiruv today, it's a, uh, not an argument. You know, sometimes you say, argue, you know, arguably such and such. Arguably such and such. Meaning, some people can have this opinion, some people can have a different opinion. That's when you say arguably. Today it's not arguably. That the most important mitzvah of our generation is to do Kiruv the most m- m- important staka to be involved in is Kiruv. And the reason why Rabotai, Zikri rabim is so critical is because Hashem we were in such a generation that's so low and uh, so selfish that if Kiruv does not pick up, if, P- if Kiruv does not continue to succeed in a big way, we are one or two generations from not having a people. Right now, we're in a situation where so many people are so confused, you don't really know if, if more people are joining the derech or getting off the derech. Some say, no, no, there's a lot of Baal shuvah. I say, you're right, there's a lot of Baal shuvah. Hashem, every week I get new ones that send me letters that give me encouragement to continue going stronger and stronger. Every week, Baal Hashem, there's new people. At the same token, you also get letters of the people that left the derech a week before. Not because of you. Like, oh, no, no, by the way, I left the derech last week, but now I started watching your video. Why'd you leave? Oh, no, I've been religious for 20 years and decided to stop. Meaning it's like a job. I quit. Shem people are leaving. Why? Why are they leaving? Why? How do you leave God? If you believe in God, how do you leave Him? If you believe in God, how do you leave Him? Meaning that It's not possible. It's not possible to leave God if you believe Him. If you believe in Him, if you believe Him and what He said, meaning that it could only be one of two issues. When someone is either not religious or someone is gets off the derech, it could only be one of two causes. Either they don't believe in Hashem, they don't believe in Him. They think that the world came from nothing. They think that they came from monkeys. They think that their a- great ancestors is an amoeba. And maybe the ant that uh, was right at the petach over here, there was, a, there was an ant right outside of the uh, of the Breslov Center that I saw. I said, hello, Tashik. Oh, yeah, I'm Steve. Don't say hi. Come on to Steve. Don't just say hello. Steve. Maybe it's since their cousin or something from a, from a previous general, Gilgul or something. Some people think that. Other people... Other people, no, you ask, her, you believe in Hashem? like, of course I believe in Hashem. Are you crazy? What do you think I'm an atheist? I said, okay, so how come you don't keep Shabbat? How come you don't keep Taret mishpacha How come you don't watch your eyes? How come you don't watch this? How come you don't watch anything? All you watch is is, is, is All you watch is, uh, you watch soccer. That's all you watch. Not the Brit, not the eyes, not the Shul Torah. All you're watching, you're watching Kadu Hegel. You're watching football. You're watching basketball. You're watching Sh'tuyo. you watching the stock market. How come? Oh, you know, for each their own, I'm not at that level. I'm not at that level. It's a constant answer. I'm not at that level. Meaning that this person, unfortunately, is at a level where he doesn't believe Hashem. It's not that he doesn't believe in Him. He doesn't believe Him. He doesn't believe that Hashem wrote the Torah and He meant it. Then when you say, Amen... It's Rashet Tevot, it's an acronym for El Melech Ne'eman. The God, the King, that's trustworthy, reliable, meaning that what He says is what He's going to do. That's every time you say Amen. The Chafetz Chaim Alav Hashalom, said that it was worth it for Hashem to create the world with all of the universe, the cosmos, the 10 to the 18th power stars, as it says in Gmaram Brachot, page 32b, exactly how many stars we have in the universe 1064340, and then 12 zeros after it. Not to make you think that I know anything, but just to show you how precise our Torah is that literally we have even the number of stars written before we had a telescope. We have all the information in the world, but yet people want to believe the so-called scientists that make a mistake that causes mankind to die on a weekly basis. Hashem Barach gave us such a wonderful Torah, but we choose to go against it. We choose to ignore it. The Chafetz Chaim says that it was worth it for Hashem to create the world with everything in it, with all the cosmos and all the stars and all the universe and all of the planets and the water and the Rules of the world, the oxygen, the hydrogen, the whole table of contents, the rules of the world as far as gravity, black holes, and black swans in the stock market, all of these things. For what? For one Jew in the middle of Miami, Florida to say, Amin. that's it, once, world is around. Almost 6,000 years. No one ever said Amen. (laughs) Hashem Echem. Chavetz Chaim says, one guy says, somebody says, one guy says, Amen. (laughs) Chavetz Chaim says, it was worth it for Hashem to create the world for the Amen. One Amen. Why? Because you're testifying that Hashem is not kidding. You're testifying that Hashem holds His word. That even if you want to go and use the few minority opinions that say that the average secular person that doesn't know what Shabbat is is considered Tinox Ishba, you could still never tell that Tinox ishba that he's going to Gan Eden because that would be a Kfirah and that would be against the Torah and that would be a lie. There's no free ticket to going to Gan Eden. Meaning that even if you say that someone that drives on Shabbat is uh, But you want to use the opinion of the Lubavitch Rebbe, or you want to use the opinion of Rav Moshe Feinstein, or you want to use the opinion that some say is actually the opinion of the Chazonish, while others say it's a misunderstanding. Either way, let's say it is, that because he's secular, he drives on Shabbat, he's a tinok Shanishba. The rest of the Poskim obviously go against it. They say, no, he's not a Tinok She The guy drives on Shabbat. He's surrounded by Jews. He lives in New York. As a matter of fact, of Moshe Feinstein, the one that says that Tinok She also said that if he lives in New York, he can't be a Tinok She Why? Everybody's Jewish. But anyway, let's say you want to do a Pesach like that and say everybody's a Tinok She Everybody is a uh, captured baby. You still can never tell this man that he's going to Gan Eden or he has nothing to worry about. What you can do, Allahakli... Is you can allow him to touch your wine on Shabbat and still drink it. That's all you're allowed to do. If you want to be a like the minority opinion, all you're allowed to do is say, if he touched my wine, I don't have to throw it out. So you saved yourself 20 bucks. If, uh, let's say, for example, he says Kaddish, you could say Amen. You could say Amen. But Allah says, but in reality, if he. If he if you lend the money, you could charge him interest. Why? Because the majority opinion is that even if he's a tinok shenishba, he's only a tinok shenishba on specific sins, on specific things. He's not tinok shenishba on everything. He doesn't know nothing. He came to bekneset, right? So he knows he has to go to bekneset. He says Amen when somebody says a prayer, right? So he has to say Amen every time he sees a prayer. He sees that somebody prays, so every time he eats something, he knows he has to pray. So every time he doesn't do it, he has a sin. He sees people uh, keep Shabbat, so he knows he has to keep Shabbat, and so on and so forth. He saw things. He's not for everything. The point is, Abotai, there's no free lunch, there's no free ticket to go to Gan Eden just because you're a nice guy. And for all of those people that want to uh, give these free tickets that don't belong to them, to people, all you're doing is you're destroying neshamot if there was any remote chance that the guy was ever going to do tshuva, but you tell him, no, no, you're at bad you don't know anything, it's okay, it's just keep it stuck high, everything's going to be fine. You're making matters much worse. It's better that you stay quiet. In the Sidu, in Tfilat Mincha, David HaMelech, in uh, chapter 25 of Tehilim, says to Hashem, David HaMelech says to Hashem, lead me in your truth, in your emit and teach me. Why? Because you're the God of my salvation. My salvation can only come with you. What what do you mean to come to you? How? Why him? Why can't it come to his rabbi? Why can't it come to a couple of good books? Maybe a nice Shur, nice Musar 129. Why can't the salvation come to that? He says because David the understood something very, very well. When you say Amen, you're talking about the King of Kings that doesn't change. When you say, how are you? You're talking about some person that most likely next week is not going to be the same thing. Maybe even his name is going to be different. Sometimes I meet people that have eight names. I ask them, why you have so many names? Go, oh, this one when I had a cold. That one is when I was looking for a zivug. That one was when my foot hurt. I didn't know if it was a gidul or something, so I got my another name. And that one, this rabbi that saw me and he said I had a red string, I had to take off the red string and replace it with a name and then put the red string back. All types of shtuyot of white people add names to their life. David and Melech says, stop adding names. Remember one name. God. That's the one name that doesn't change. Hashemit Yidbarach is the one and only thing you can rely on in this world. And David HaMelech says that it's your truth, your emet. I can rely on it. Teach me that. Don't teach me people's opinions, what they like, what they don't like, what's good, what's bad. Who cares? People ask me all the time, so what do you think about such and such? What What do you care what I think? What difference does it make in the world what I think? No, I don't know, you're a smart guy. Smart? What's smart? I actually have anything that Hashem didn't give me. A person needs to be very clear. You have nothing that Hashem didn't give you. Of course, you can attain things, and Hashem will give you. As it says in Gemara, Masechet Brachot, Hashem gives chokhmah to the chachamim. Hashem gives wisdom to the wise. So Rabban Yochanan asks, how come he gives the wisdom to the wise? Shouldn't he give the wisdom to the fools? If you give wisdom to the wise, they're just going to be more and more wise, but the fool's going to stay a fool. Why don't you give wisdom to the fool? So maybe he's going to become wise. The answer, Rabbotai, is very interesting. The wise are wise because they appreciate wisdom. When they hear divrei chokmah, they sit down and shut up and listen. They don't interfere. They don't talk over. They don't want to tell you their opinion. They want to hear diwra chokhmah. They want to listen. Why? You learn a lot better when you listen. When a person doesn't like chokhmah, he doesn't know what to do with it once he hears it. He leaves the room, goes and smoke cigarettes. He's busy. He says what he thinks. He says his opinion. She says, No, I don't agree with you. Uh, It's nomikubalalai. She says, No, it's not for me. I don't accept this one. Like you were at Mount Sinai. And they asked your opinion. What do you think of this rule? No, no, nomikubalalai. Okay, you know what? That one cancelled. Why? She didn't like it. She didn't like it. Lamdeni, Lamdeni. Hashem, teach me because you are my salvation. You're the only thing that could save me. Save me from the lies. Save me from the falsehoods. Save me from the stupidity. Save me from the make-believe. Save me. Today, Rabotai, not a lot of people care about saving. People care about making sure that other people... Either know that they know, or know that they don't care. And this Mishnah Perkei Avot is each one, each word, each example that Yehuda Ben Tema gives us is an explosive example of Saamida, a character trait that we have to adapt in order to survive the falsehood that surrounds us. Right now, there's a lot of people that are in the Torah business. There's a yeshivot, schools, books, publication houses, newsletters, and so on. But I really always want to ask if you're already doing it, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, every normal operation reviews what have i done what's the point what do you assess your point as if you're in the torah business what do you, what do you how do you assess it now if it's just pure learning then of course you assess it based on your achievements how many maschetot um, you finished how many tractate of gemara you finished if you finish the whole shahs, if you finished half a shahs, or if you're learning something else, different parts of the Zohar, the Rambam, whatever it is that you're learning, you have to assess it. Aside from learning, how, what else are you doing with this Torah? Because the Gemara says somebody that learns for no purpose, meaning just for himself, is like somebody who doesn't have a god. I mean, you can't just keep all this knowledge to yourself. You have to share it with somebody at some point your family, your friends, your community, your children, somebody. You can't just keep it to yourself. Write a book. Obviously not right away, but the point is that you have to have an intention. If that—if you're in a Torah business that way, you're writing things or you're sharing things, okay, fine. But if you're giving lectures or you have a big Knesset, or you have some type of irgun, some type of organization... it would behoove you to assess the success of the organization by how many people actually did real tshuva, not how many people are attending your events. Because if you have an attendance of 5,000 people, but they're all Christians or act like Christians, you're not really doing anything for yourself or for them. If no one's changing, if everyone's staying exactly the same, they drove on Shabbat six months ago. They're still driving on Shabbat now. Nothing has changed. They walked around with no keeper two years ago. They're still walking around with no keeper today. They do. They lay tefillin maybe once a week. Now, after they're already coming to your so-called shiur for a year, you have to measure that. You have to see. I mean, what am I doing? Why is why am I failing here? Because if you're assuming that you're going to see these people for a long time, you're wrong. No one lives forever, including you. So for anyone that's in a Torah business, you have to assess your success rate by looking at balet shuba because that's what we need. Am Yisrael does not need more golf tournaments. Am Yisrael does not need more synagogues. Am Yisrael does not even need more Torah, by the way. In this generation, do you ask any of the real big Chachamim, what should you donate a lot of money to? Sefer Torah, or some type of uh, Sefer for Limud, for learning? It says, every one of them will tell you, of course, Sefer for Limud. Of course, a uh, tractate of Gemara, give them the whole Shas, a few Shas, you know, maybe uh, a whole section of Shas, uh, Daf Yomi, sponsor Avrechim, Kiruv, a lot of other things. No Sefer Torah. Why? It says there's so many, but take would with extra Sefer Torah, that in order for the Sefer Torah to be, you know, to take out, it has to win the lotto. The Sefer Torah has to win the lotto in order to be used. Why? How many Sefer Torah can you possibly use in one week? Maximum three. Maximum three. Monday, Thursday, and Shabbat. That's the three times a week they use a the Sefer Torah. So let's say you use a different Sefer Torah, which is uncommon. Every single time. Usually the, the rabbi, the, the Baal Kureh, likes to use one. But let's say he uses three. In that best case scenario, you got 150 times, 150 times using the Torah during a year, maybe a little bit more. Some of these batikneset have literally 200, 300 sifret Torah in a basement. There's no room. They have a whole floor just for Sifre Torah. And somebody says, "Oh, for the Ram, donating another Sifre Torah, sixty thousand. Chazaku Baruch, Chazaku Baruch, Shrecha." What a shrikha. you're just having 60,000 parked in the basement. What'd you do? We don't need more Torah, We need more Jews. We need more Jews, Rabbotay. We need more Jews. So some people understand this and they donate a little bit of money, they donate a little bit of time, they donate a little bit of expertise. They invest, they invest in Am Israel. And those people, time and time again, I see that they have at one point or another, they have a miracle. Sometimes it's right away. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes they won't even notice it. But I see from an outside perspective, it's much easier to see. It's wonderful. To see people getting involved in saving Am Israel, because from the outside perspective, you also see you see the good and you see the bad, and you see that on the bad side that we are literally only one generation away, two generations away from either everybody's going to do tshuva or shemirachem. There's just not enough enough. It's not enough Jews being created. A lot of Jews in the world. There's not enough real Jews created. People are falling off the derech very fa- very fast. Rabbis are helping them sometimes fall off the derech. People are have no emunah whatsoever, so they don't want to have any kids. At least five times a week people ask, can I continue taking birth control pills? Can I just not have a baby for the first three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of marriage until I have, you know, the house and the car and the second, the vacation house and the dog and the cat? Can I just adopt a kid when he's like eighteen, say hello, and then give him, send them off away back to the parents that had him? People just are, uh, they're, they're, they're lost, they're lost. And the reason is, is because there's not, not enough emit. There's not enough emit in the world. There's a lot of sugar coating. There's a lot of silufim. You know what silufim is? Silufim is like you're taking a, you know, it's like a, there's a sentence. I don't know if there's a perfect word for it in English. Silufim is what the Christians do. This is what they did with our, with our Torah. They take, let's say there's a uh, two, three, four verses. They take three words from here, two words from there, one word from there. They make mamu like, See, it says it in the Torah. See, it says it in the Torah. What says in the Torah? It says these words in the Torah. It doesn't say what you said. Unfortunately, sometimes the teachings of Torah, so-called Torah from Jews, is the same thing. I saw an article by a rabbi talking about why he believes that the Rebbe is Mashiach. Gon Go Nefesh. Gon Go Nefesh, disgusting. With all due respect to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I know that he's suffering because of this. People have turned him into an idol, they pray to him. They So after the video that came out recently, Bo Hashem got a lot of traction one of these uh, Chabad rabbis called me. Oh, I'm not sure what you intended with the video, but I wanted to know, I wanted to talk to you, who are you, to do 50 questions. Okay, after I got 50, I passed the test. I got to, I got, got, 98. Uh, and uh, after that, I says, so, yeah, I don't think you were intending on uh, going against Chabad. It uh, has to be the most uh, extraordinary organization and so on and so forth I didn't answer and he's like "Say, well the Rebbe was the greatest Rabbi that ever lived I didn't answer that part either and uh, at some point I said wait so you think he's alive I asked him alright I, I don't you know I asked him, you think he's he's still alive like you think he's still alive he said no well you mean like what like physical body I said, yeah he goes no no that no not physical body but uh, we don't say he died so why come you don't say he died? He goes a cow dies. Tzadikim don't die. Okay, there's there's some emet in that's it's fine. It's no problem. I said okay. So wait, so so. He died. But I don't believe he's the Mashiach. Like what's the you believe he's the Mashiach? I go, wait, hold on. He was. What do you mean you don't believe he's the Mashiach? He had such a problem with what my statement. He goes. What do you mean you don't believe he's the Mashiach? And then we went to this half hour, like I have all this extra time in my life, half hour debate of why he's not a Mashiach. And I already know their argument, because every single one of them has the same exact argument. The same Rambam, and the same uh, Talmud Bavli, uh, you know, and it's the same exact thing over and over again. It's like you feel like you're talking to the machine. It's the same exact thing, same pages, same Rambam, same everything. It's all the other script. I remember in the brokerage business, I gave everybody a script to train them in order to be good salesmen. Because, like I always tell you guys, words sound much better in your brain than it does coming out of your mouth. So if you want to be a good salesperson, already know what you're going to say before you say it. Already know what you're going to say before you say it. Even if it's you saying it, no one told you, you're saying it, write it down before you say it. Why? Because if you read it, more, more likely you'll make less mistakes. And more likely, you'll stop yourself from making bigger mistakes by not realizing that until you wrote it that it really is terrible what you just said. Preparation. Preparation is necessary for everything in life. So this was one of these debates that I was prepared because I've already had it several times. So we talked for a half hour and it's this and that and this and that. And I I asked myself, okay, so hold on. So I heard the debate. Let's just save the time. You're using the Gemara in Masechet Sanedrin. talks about the names. There's going to be several possibilities of who the Mashiach is going to be. One of them, his name is Menachem. And because of this Gemara, they're saying, oh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's name is Menachem. Yes, you're right. But in the Gemara, it also gives a last name, which is not the Rebbe's last name. Oh, so you'll just believe half the Gemara? Just believe half the verse? Second, Gemaah says that if it was in a generation of Daniel, it would be Daniel. The, being the Mashiach, meaning. If the Mashiach came in a generation of Daniel, the Prophet Daniel, Daniel would have been the Mashiach. It would have been in a generation of Rabbi the original Rebbe, Rabbi Akadosh. It would, be, it would have been him. Rabbi been Asi. So, from here we learn that there were possibilities in the past. There's also a Torah, there's a Tanakh that says that Hashem decided that it would be a good idea to give a Melich to be the Mashiach. He made all of Amish Tshuva. Little babies knew the entire Mishnah by heart. Little babies. Mamash, met everybody knew. No, he said I put a sword in the ground, he says, Anyone who doesn't learn to harm, I'm gonna kill you with the sword. Everybody left the job, nobody worked. Everybody just learned Torah. All day, all night. Little kids knew the entire Mishnah by heart. Kodesh Kodeshim. Hashem says, I'm going to make this guy Mashiach. But then the Yetzirah says, yeah, you're right, Hashem, he's good, he's great, but he didn't sing to you. And his grandfather, David HaMelech, sank to you with Teilim, and you didn't make him Mashiach. So how are you going to make the grandson that did not technically, technically less, Yetzirah, Ra, ra Yetzirah, always finds the one thing. Ra. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu called him. Evil. One thing he didn't do, he didn't sing to you once. He's like, oh, no, 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 don't be Mashiach. He can't be Mashiach. Hashem said you're right. Hashem says you're right. Hashem says you're right. You didn't sing to Hashem. <sniffs> can't be Mashiach. You see, Midat Adin, Midat Adin, is very critical, Abutai. The Mashiach was passed over because of a song. You think he's uh, he's going to let you be a Mechalal Shabbat? So, for me, we see there was possibilities in past generations. Every generation has a Moshe Rabbeinu. Every generation has a leader. Every generation has the soul of Mashiach, but not uh, until now, For since the beginning of time, we have not gotten the Mashiach. Why? It hasn't been time. There's always been something. But the reality is that the, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe being Mashiach is a problem because there's, he died. But they say no, he can reincarnate. So there is one chacham that I found one, out of all the chachamim. has a lot of There's one chacham I believe it was a it says it's possible that the Mashiach dies and resurrects, comes back to life. It's possible. The rest of the people say once somebody dies, the 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 everybody else believes he dies. He cannot be Mashiach. But there's one opinion that says, no, he can resurrect, come back to life. And that's what they're holding on. This one opinion, single opinion. The beauty of it is that the same gemara that they use for a source is the same gemara that destroys that argument. Why? And that's what I said to the rabbi. Nice guy. I told him, listen, you're going to use this one opinion. Oh, you know the opinion? Yeah, I know the opinion. Yeah, I heard. I had this argument before, so, so you're going to use that opinion. and come back from life. Everything okay? Fine. From that yeah, from fine. Okay. Yeah, and also goes with the Rambam, and it says this in uh, Melachim. He accomplished all this. He accomplished all that, all these different things. Fine, no problem. They listen to the Rambam of what the Rabbi supports the Mashiach is supposed to do. But when the Rambam, when the Rambam says you're supposed to cover your head with a mitpachat, they don't listen to. Rambam says cover your head with a mitpachat. They don't listen to that part. They listen to the Zohar for for the for the for the, for the wig. You see what's going on here? We pick a little bit from Rambam when it's ilchot Melachim. That's good. rebuke your brother. No, we don't listen to that part. Balat Tanya, we like the stuff of Tanya, except chapter 1 where it says you must rebuke your brother or you go to Geinom. doesn't say, that one we, we skip. Page 35 of the Tanya, we skip that part. We skip it. We go somewhere else. We see there's like a little, there's a little, little bit of, little bit of, silouf, little bit of silouf, a little bit of siloof. A little bit of siloof, a little bit. They said you're going to use this Gemara. Okay, so let us see. The Gemara says that if it was in a generation of Daniel, it would be Daniel. If it was in a generation of Rabbi Yudanasi, it would be Rabbi Yudanasi. So here we have testified evidence, right here from the Torah, by Ruach HaKodesh, who it could have been. And we have a Tanakh, Chizkiyahu. And we have Tanakh, David HaMelech. We have. It's not like opinion, he's good, he's not. No, right here we have evidence, what, what Hashem thinks. If it's written in the Gemara, that's what Hashem thinks. If it's written in the Tanakh, that's what Hashem said. So we have evidence. It's not a debate. There's no makhlokit. So if already we're going to believe that there's a reincarnation, we're going to use the one opinion. Let's say the one opinion is right. Sometimes the one opinion is right. Let's say we're going to use that one opinion. With all due respect to Kvodo, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, why would it be him? Why wouldn't it be the Prophet Daniel? That the Gemara says it should have been him. Why wouldn't it be Rabbi Yudana the original Rabbi, Rabbi Kadosh, that wrote the Mishnah, Kamara said it should be him. Why wouldn't it be his that Hashem said it should be him? Because he missed one song. He missed one song. One song he missed. So it's not him. So why shouldn't we say, okay, you know what, the song is not such a big deal, we waited 3,000 years. Okay, call with the song. Go. We had a lot of songs 3,000 years. Why wouldn't it be him? Hashem said it's him. Why wouldn't it be David Melech himself? It's already reincarnating. Bring David Melech. David, your, Ruth, yeah, David, good. Mashiach, why would it be the Labavitcher Rebbe? Why? As I said in the clip, and I'll say over and over again, sometimes people fall in love with their idea so much, they forget it's an idea. Sometimes people fall in love with their rabbis, they forget he's still flesh and blood. As much as I love my rabbis, I constantly remind myself they're still flesh and blood, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like it. The reality is, Rabotai, the Torah is to sanctify Hashem's name, not to desecrate it, not to start creating new emet, new truths. And when you pick and choose what you want to believe and what you want to follow, this one from from the Rambam, this one from the Zohar, this one from this one, this one from that one, and all of these different silufim, you're picking and choosing, you're using copy and paste. For the Torah, you're creating a Chorban. You're creating a disaster. You're destroying the Torah. Shem yachem. And that's why I say that if we don't have a lot more people do real Chuvah in the next generation, we're not going to have Jews. Because today, you don't really even know who's a Jew anymore. There are certain batikneset that they literally, you see, everybody looks like they just came from a, from a Chabad center. They just came from a black and white, everything is good, Wonderful, wow, 8 out of 10 are not Jewish. Not forget, Jewish, forget they don't keep, keep. no, no, they're not Jewish, but they look Hasidish. Why? Because today, unfortunately, Judaism has turned into a culture and turned into a, you know, a style. If he wears black and white, oh, he must be a Jew. Everybody wears black and white. I remember on Wall Street, we wore black and white also, but all of us were green. The more your Judaism is dependent on your exterior, the less Jewish you are. Judaism is not dependent on your exterior. The exterior is supposed to match the interior. And the Gemara says that if the exterior of a Talmud Chacham does not match his interior, it was better off that the uterus of his mother choked him to death and he didn't come to the world. Why is a walking Chilul Hashem when the exterior does not match the interior, better off you weren't born. Why? You're just destroying yourself every second in your life. You're better off over there in the uh, place called goof. The Gemara says, when are Mashiach Mashiach going to come? Answer is, when all the neshamot come out of the goof. What goof? There's a place in heaven that's called goof that all the neshamot are there and until they all either fix themselves or get destroyed because of all their sins, one, whichever one happens, until all of the neshamot are emptied out from this place called goof, Mashiach cannot come. The stipulate Gaon almost a hundred years ago said, that's it, no more reincarnations. Don't depend on reincarnating. Why? Anybody that's coming in to the world now, he said, at his time already, is coming from the goof. It's whatever is left there. That's it. Mashiach has to come. So now this Mishnah Rabotai is going to tell us how we can survive the falsehood. How can we be among the ones that actually are going to stick to the truth and not fall into the trap a falsehood that is self serving. You can attack the messenger as much as you want, it still won't change the message. The Torah stays the same. If there's a single thing that I ever said in the last several years that didn't have a source, you could ask the source, I'll give it to you. If I made a mistake, you show it to me, I made a mistake, I'll make a public announcement that I make a mistake. The point is, it has nothing to do with an opinion. That's the point of it being a myth. Yehuda ben Tema says, Be bold as a leopard, light as an eagle, swift as a deer, and strong as a lion to carry out the will of your Father in heaven. Yehuda ben Tema says that you have to understand, when you wake up in the morning, you say, Who is lefanecha? Who is Lefanecha? Who are you talking about? Who are you talking Saying, Say, Modeani Lefanecha. I thank you, Hashem. So who are is, who is, who is referring to? Hashem. Lefanecha, you're in front of Hashem. Right on the first thing in the morning, you saying Hashem. Why? He's there all the time. We're was sleeping, though. He's still there when I'm sleeping? Yeah, he's watching you. But I went to sleep. Doesn't he have something else to do? Yeah, he does other things too. He's everywhere. Hashem is there all the time in your problems, in your good times, in your bad times, when you go to shul Torah, when you play with the phone during the shul Torah, when you are on the way to shul Torah and you come late, when you come early, when you get married, when you have kids, all the time, at work, in the bathroom, everywhere. So first thing in the morning, you're saying, lefanecha. I'm acknowledging this, Hashem. I'm acknowledging that you are in front of me even when I just woke up. And I thank you for being there for me. Forgive For Forgive me another chance to do tshuva. Because the only reason why the soul was given back to you was in order for you to do tshuva today. Yesterday's past. Can't do anything about yesterday. Anyone that worries about yesterday is like a uh, one of these people. They uh, what do they call them? People that like to inflict pain on themselves, masochists or sadistic, sadistic or masochistic. Which one? Masochist. Okay, masochist. There's some people that like to inflict pain on others, and some people that like to inflict pain on themselves. People that like to think about the past, they like to inflict pain on themselves. Why? There's there's nothing you can do about it thinking about what happened when you were like eight years old, thinking about that that uh, you grew up without a dad, without a mom, or somebody, uh, all this stuff that happened to you, I understand it's traumatizing, I'm not discounting it. I'm not discounting it. But to live your whole life with this forced event, repeating it in your head, what good is it going to do for you? I, don't, I have a friend, his father died when he was a kid. Maybe 6, 7, 8 years old. Traumatizing. Not traumatizing to an 8 year old to lose his dad. 15 year old too. What about when you're 40? Should still traumatize you when you're 40? I mean, he's, he's been dead most of your life. I mean, at this point, we should be able to move on. You should be a dad. You should start a new family. Don't make the same mistakes. Move on, but sometimes there are certain traumas, obviously, that are beyond the ability of a person to move on, move beyond. Whether it be uh, rape, chas Shalom or things like that, that literally are physically traumatizing and mentally traumatizing. there's certain things that we force on ourselves. Bad experience. Some girl broke up with you thirty years ago. You still don't want to get married. Why? Because because uh, Wilma. From, from the store, said she doesn't like you anymore. So you don't trust any woman for 30 years. This is stupidity. This is self-inflicted wounds. Some people like to do that. Some people like to think about their past to destroy themselves. This is a poison. This is drinking poison for a living. Abutai, in order for us to succeed, we have to move forward. I understand that sometimes moving forward is painful... But it's necessary. And you'll see that happiness is much closer than you could imagine. But if you don't let yourself move forward, if you don't stop thinking about the past and start planning the future, start working on the present, you'll just suffer for the rest of your life. What kind of life is that? Yudah ben Tema says that you have to understand that all of what you do, whether it's being bold as a leopard, light as an eagle, which will explain what all of them mean, swift as a deer or strong as a lion, all of it is to carry the will of your Father in heaven. What does it mean to carry the will of your Father in heaven? To carry the will of the Father in heaven meaning that if what you're doing doesn't matter what it is, your job, your marriage, your learning, your teaching, your hobbies, everything. If it has no benefit, it serves no benefit to your Father in Heaven, to Hashemit Barach. don't do it. Why? There's no point. The Chagiga, I believe it's 4A, says if a person came... T- and didn't find a way to sanctify Hashem's name, it was better off he didn't come to the world. Why? There's no point. There's no point to your life. You didn't find a way to honor Hashem, sanctify His name, publicize it, do something to show the world, Ah, it's Hashem! Modeh ani lefanecha! Who's a lefanecha? Oh, it's his... You don't know lefanecha? Okay, let me go bring it to you. You tell people who Hashem is, you do something to sanctify Hashem's name, you didn't do it. No point in your life. Zero. Nothing. How often? Every day. Every day. Not like once a week on a Tuesday night at 11 when no one's watching. Every day. You have to sanctify Hashem's name somehow. Through a blessing, to a tzedakah, to a learning, to a prayer, to something. You have to do something to sanctify Hashem's name. This is one of the keys to Shlemut. To achieving completion with Hashem. Where you are becoming slowly but surely a soldier of Hashem. And here is the only place where women are allowed to be a soldier. Someone asked me today, are women allowed to be soldiers in case of a war? The answer is no. And the reason why is because we need people back home to build Am Yisrael. Take care of the kids, make sure they learn Torah. Wars are won by Hashem; they're not won by guns. So, if we go out there to go help Hashem, as if as if He can't do it by Himself, you're going to send the women too. Who's going to take care of Amisled? So, Yehuda Ben Tima says: Remember, rule number one: everything you do is for Hashem. Everything you do is for Hashem. If it's not for Hashem, there's no point. Oh, what about my job? My job is not, I don't work for a queue of organization. You don't have to work for a queue of organization. You don't have to work for a kolel. But what do you do with the money that gets comes from your job? Does it go to go buy uh, more video games? Does it go to buy uh, more burgers? So you have another chin? Well, you don't have two is not enough. Two chins is not enough. You want a third one? What does the money go for? For what? What does it do? What are you doing with this money? Okay, you don't have to work for yeshiva. It's preferable you don't work for yeshiva. Why make no money? Work for Microsoft and uh, Qualcomm and Coca-Cola and UPS. Work for them, no problem. As long as it's a kosher job, not on Shabbat, no problem. But what are you doing with the money? Is the money sanctifying Hashem's name? Are you giving ma'asir? Are you giving ma'asir only to Hanukkah parties? Or to actually bring Jews to Amishleim? What about your marriage? Is your marriage sanctifying Hashem's name? Are people looking at you like, wow, what a nice religious Jewish couple? Wow, are they saying that? It's like, oh yeah, what are they? I don't know. I think uh, maybe they're Arabs, maybe they're uh, Puerto Rican. You know what? He kind of looks. You know what? He kind of looks like he's from uh, Africa somewhere. Why? I don't know there's a certain uh, certain thing about him. What? You don't look Jewish. People can't tell you Jewish. Why not? Why can't people tell you you're Jewish? Why can't people tell that you your wife is Jewish? Why can't she? Te- why can't they tell that she's even your wife? You know it's impossible to tell if somebody is married if they don't cover their hair. Even the goyim understand this. So your marriage is supposed to sanctify Shem's name. children? Are your children the ones that are breaking everything in the neighborhood? Or oh, they the ones that have, they're the first ones that are balik Chesed. Go help the old lady out. Go help the old man. Volunteer for the yeshiva. Do something. Contribute to society. Rabbi there's so many opportunities to sanctify Hashem's name. The more you think about it, the more you realize, wow, that's why the punishment is so dear for not doing it. I have an opportunity in every single step that I do to sanctify Hashem's name. Every opportunity. So, when a person understands that his job is to sanctify Hashem's name, that already reorganizes his entire plan. Restructures his entire agenda. Why? He's always thinking about Hashem. He's forcing himself to think about Hashem at all times. I remember when Rafaim told me when he first started, he told me about Moshe Rabbeinu. He said, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, he thought about Hashem all the time. I said, what do you mean all the time? Like, you know, once in a while, a a few hours a day. He goes, no, no, all the time. I said, what do you mean all the time? All the time, like maybe like 10, 12, 15 hours. He goes, no, no, all the time. I said, what do you mean all the time? What does that mean all the time? I'm a very precise person. I need to know what does it mean all the time? He said all the time. I said, well, you literally mean all the time, like 24 hours a day? He said all the time. How is it possible to think about Hashem 24 hours a day? He said when he would breathe, he said, thank you Hashem for the breath. When he would speak, he said, thank you Hashem for allowing me to speak. When he would see, he said, thank you Hashem for allowing me to see. When he'd hear <laughs> some, some bird somewhere, oh, thank you Hashem, I heard a bird. You created the bird, and he think about the bird, and think about the creation of the bird. And he learned Torah, he's like, thank you Hashem for allowing my brain to understand what these words actually mean. And so on and so forth. And it was amazing to me that someone can think about Hashem all the time. The more you learn Torah, the more you arrive at the conclusion that you don't understand how somebody doesn't think about Hashem all the time. It's actually not as impossible as you would think. If you learn Torah, it becomes difficult not to think about Hashem. Why? Even your entire life. You wake up in the morning, you say, Hello Hashem, thank you. You go wash your hands, Oh, thank you Hashem for the water, wash my hand. a little pattern that Hashem created, fine, everything's good, the rabbis. You go to the bathroom, oh, you say, Thank you Hashem for the body work, no, nothing, only scream for 15 minutes instead of a half hour like yesterday, Hashem. Thank you. Rabbi for 16 years. Better for me. So anyway, Baruch Hashem, everything good. Everything, every two seconds you have a mitzvah. Every two seconds you have a mitzvah. It's impossible not to think about Hashem. Unless you don't believe in Hashem. Unless you've become a robot. Unless everything has become systematic. Where you're doing the Asher Yatsar already on the way to, to eating another piece of meat. You just emptied out the canisters, you want to fill it up again, like it's gas. Sometimes you see certain people, that are so busy, they forget. You go to Beknesset in the morning, the guy starts at Hodu, he finishes at Bekata Amazon. What happened? How'd you get it? He goes, I don't know. I was busy, I got stuff on my mind, you know, stress, work. My wife yelled at me, was she sleeping? Yeah, Yesterday. She yelled, I'm still thinking about that. this and that. He's so busy, his mind is everywhere. He started in one place, he ended up in the Quran or something. He's in a different place. The guy doesn't know, why are you in Veknesa? What am I doing here? Where is this? Who are you guys? with are the Minyan. We're here, the, the local community. What are you doing? So, people have so much on their mind, they don't know what they're doing. It's very easy to become a robot. It's very easy to become a robot. So, we had a shoot the other day of a fireman and I, and we said, how do you start the day? First thing in the morning, you got a natural inclination is to think about all the stuff we have to do. I know that's how I am. First thing in the morning, I'm thinking, oh, wow, I have so much stuff to do today. I haven't achieved what I wanted to do today for the last uh, almost 40 years. Maybe today I'll be the one. Maybe today I'll achieve what I want to achieve. And I already think about all the things I need to achieve, but then Hashem reminds you, "Hey, hey, hold on! You can't even start. Why? Talk to me. We have a we have a, we have a meeting. We have a meeting. We have, a, we have to talk. We have a meeting. You got to pray." So that already stops your yetzira plan. Rabbi Meir mi pshischa, no, mi mi um, sorry. Rabbi Meir mi plem shalom, mi shalom. About 170 years ago. It says in Sefer Bereshit it says that Hashem created the world new. From nothing. From Tov Vavoh. Bereshit bara Elohim Et And just like that every day that you see the world, the universe, your world, your family and so on you should know Hashem recreated the world. Again, every day he recreates the world. He says a person needs to know that he has to manage his life the same way as Bereshit. It says Bereshit bara uh, uh, Elokim et Hashemayim veetaretz. Hashem built the heaven and the earth. So a person that starts off their day first realize it says heaven first. First thing to do in the morning, deal with heaven. What do I have to do? Oh, I gotta pray to Hashem. I gotta do a Titadayim. I gotta go to the bathroom too. I gotta go pray. Uh, whatever. You have to do the morning prayers. You gotta deal with heaven first. Your job, your, your lunch, your all that other stuff. That's aaretz. That's something else. First, deal with heaven. Why? It says, first aaretz. Then it's Then you deal with your job and the kids and the this and the that. Yeah, my kids have to go to school, so wake up earlier. Yeah, but I'm tired. Okay, so wait, go to sleep sooner. You have to deal with heaven first. Why? Because it says after Bereshit Barai Lokim Et Hashemayim HaAretz What does it say after? Ve'aretz Aita Tovavol. It says, in the beginning of Hashem's, of Hashem's creation, He created the heaven and the earth, when the earth was an astonishingly empty. So Rabbi Meir, Miprim Shalan, says, if you deal with heaven first, and then this mundane world second, good. You're just like Hashem. If not, Hashem yachem, you'll end up at Tovavo. Well, that's what happened. The rest of your day will go to the garbage. When you usually, when you deal, when you start off your day dealing with the mundane, you deal with the other things that have nothing to do with Hashem. Your day can go to Tovaho. So Rabbi Yehuda, so Yehuda Ben Tema says, start off your day. You have to be a leopard. You have to be bold like a leopard to serve Hashem. And we went over this last week. Being bold and not being afraid of doing tshuva. Not being afraid of what people think. Sometimes a person wants to do tshuva, and the tool says she wants to put kisui roshan. He wants to walk around with a tzitzit and a kippah. He wants to come to issue. He wants to start learning Mishnayot. He wants to do things people want to do Chuba, but they don't do it. Why? They're afraid of what people are gonna say. Oh. Became a rabbi on me. What happened? He became a rabbi, where is the keeper? Oh I became a rabbi. What already right, just the keeper That's the only thing, it's the only qualification of a rabbi? A beard and the keeper? In Israel,
1: they say right away
0: who died. Who died? Who died?
1: Yeah.
0: Shem died? Amen. Shalom. It says in uh, Achtov Yisrael, Rabbi Ephraim writes in a book, it's at the end of uh, the third uh, edition, Gimel, and he says, it talks about all of these different extra adjectives to describe rabbis that they use today. Tzadik Balair, Tzadik, Kadosh, Malach Hashem, all types of kinuim. Uh, if uh, if gadol adog, community, the rabbi, the this one, and that one, all this stuff. You see, the pass for you. Anyone saw the uh, all the shulim we're doing in New York? Someone, some, sometimes they have one pass just for the rabbi's name, and the other pass for the dates of where he's appearing. Name so they add all these different things: gadol, kadosh, malach Hashem, angel of God, angel of this, angel of that, all these different things like Abraham Avinu. So Rav Shach, Alava Shalom, said something wonderful. And Rav Frye puts it in his book, Achtov Yisrael Chele Gimel. And he says, Rav Shach says, when it says, Rav, Rav, it's already a good sign. Why? We know he's a male. In his generation, Baruch Hashem, they weren't Rabban Yot yet says, Rav, we know, good. it's good news. Why? We know it's a, it's a male. It's a man. It says, Kvod Rav. or Rav Agaon. I think he says, Rav Agaon. Oh, that means he keeps Shabbat. <laughs> All of the Gdolim that really were, really Kdoshim, Malachi Hashem, all that stuff. Not one of them used all of these names. Not one of them used all these kinyan. They would hate it. They would hate it. The funny thing is that you see that the some people that are really holy. If you look at them, they look at the, you. you Don't understand does this person belong in this generation, but the way they view themselves like nothing. Doa Chaim writes. That when a kid studies Torah, he thinks he understands everything. When a teenager learns Torah, he he believes that he knows most of it. When a Talmid Chacham learns Torah, he's for sure convinced he knows nothing. Why? The more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. Yudab ben Tama says, "Don't let these amalekim slow you down. These people. I tell you why you became a rabbi. Don't put a keep on. Why you get become a rabbi? You have a tzitzit on now. Oh, you go to Shil Torah? Come with us to the club. Come with this. Where you going to wear kisulosh? Where you Taliban? You have kisulosh. Where you the benishei? Woman puts a scarf on her head. Like what you benishei? Where you Taliban? We're not in the uh, Middle East anymore." All these nice wonderful compliments. They don't realize that saying such things. what, what they, how it happens to them. They g classify themselves as Mahtiah Rabim. And Nachman calls them snakes, like the Khodor said. he says, mm-hmm. don't let these people slow you down. But after that he says the mm-hmm. kalkanishil. What is kalkanishul? Being Light, like an eagle. If you ever see an eagle, an eagle is the biggest bird. It's huge. An eagle has enough strength behind it that it can pick up a sheep or a goat off the mountain and fly with it. Strong bird, don't mess with it. Strong bird, don't mess with it. Don't hang out in the mountains. Hang out here with us. The eagle, no matter how strong it is, how powerful it is, how heavy it is, it's a huge bird. It's like a little kid with wings. Ten meters. Huge. Five meters. No matter what, the eagle can fly high but it could navigate and act as if there's no weight behind it and it could change directions in a second. A person that's close to Hashem needs to be like this eagle. Chazal explains to us that sometimes you learn something, you're convinced that it's the truth. When you learn Gemara, you have to get yourself used to torturing yourself a little bit. Why? Because the Gemara sometimes convinces you that you know what you're talking about. So you go to one daf. oh yeah, yeah that's the Halacha, for sure. Abaya is right for sure here, for sure. Another duff, oh, I don't know, Abaya got a little weaker here. Abaya got a little weaker. Rava looks better, here yeah. Next page, no, no, Abaya is winning. Abaya is winning. Go, Abaya! Go, Abaya, Abaya, Abaya. You're already good, you're good, you're the best. You're three pages into it. Hey, some sugiyot are like ten pages, ten dapim. You have blood coming out of your eyes already over here. Rabbi is saying this. Abayah says this. You're like, oh, it has to be one of them. It's a 50-50 chance one of them is right. It cannot be. Then you see Rabban Gamliel says, they're both wrong. You're like, what did you do to me? This one's wrong. And now what's wrong? How could it be? Why do we fight for ten pages? Why do we fight for three weeks of Gemara learning... Just to tell me one line, Rabban Gamliel says they're both wrong. Why? Because the Torah is not a song. Abayah says in Gemar Maseichat Shabbat, the Torah is not a song. He asks one of the Chachamim, how do you know what you know? He says, "Uh, I heard it. He goes, where would you hear it from? He goes, I don't remember. He goes, oh, so you treat the Torah like a song. You memorize it. That's not how we learn Torah. Learn Torah, we have to get to the bottom of everything. And more important to get to the bottom of the truth, we have to get to the bottom of why it's not false. Sometimes, Rabotai Kareem, it's more important to know why it's why it's wrong. More so than why it's right. When Rabbi Yochanan lost his chavuta, the famous sad story of the debate between him and the Chavuta, that he had um, Resh Lakish. They tried replacing Resh Lakish with a bunch of Talmidei Chachamim. Now, Talmidei Chachamim in that generation, each one of them knew more than everybody in the world put together today. Average guy. Knew more than everyone in the world today together combined. More than, Resh more than everybody. No, not more than Resh Lakish. In, in today's generation. You take one of the Talmidim that's debating with uh, Rabbi Yochanan, you bring him in this generation, and think, oh, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. Cannot be. Average guy. Moshe Rabenu. Now, they bring a bunch of them to, to, to Rabbi Yochanan. They said, yeah, I think. So Rabbi Yochanan says, yeah, I think this. He's like, oh, you're right, Kudarav. Okay, next one. Okay, so such and such, I think this. They go, like, oh, Chazakubaruch Kudarav. Chidush, <coughs> nice. Rabbi has an answer. He says, okay, so let's go next to He passes the pages. He's getting frustrated. After the fourth or fifth time, they say, oh, Kudarav, Chazakubaruch That's a good one. He yells at them at the top of his lung. and says, what are you doing? I don't need somebody to tell me I'm right. I know I'm right. So I said it. I need someone to tell me why I'm wrong. Instead of you telling me, Chazaku Baruch, and kol and everything I did is good, I want you to be a Kish that gave me 25 questions for every yes that I had. He told me 25 no's. 25 reasons why I'm wrong. That's what I want. That's Chavuta. That's tola." But if someone has too much of an ego, he cannot learn Torah. Why? He cannot deal with the fact that he's going to be wrong. 99% of the time you're going to be wrong. Once in a while you get lucky, you're going to be right. And it's not because of your wisdom, it's only because you got lucky. Because even a broken clock is right twice a day. So now Rabbi Yochanan sees these people, just telling him, baruch. He says, you're wasting my time. He went in the middle of the street, Looking for Resh Lakish that already died. Saddest story I've ever heard in my life. He says, Rish Lakish, where are you? I need somebody to can learn Torah. Not people that tell me I'm right. Yudah ben Tema says that a person needs to be light. He needs to navigate the Torah. When you're learning Torah, he needs to go after the truth like a eagle spots a prey. He's 150, 200, 300, 3,000 feet in the air. 3,000 feet like a plane. He sees a little mouse, because he has the best vision out of all the animals in the world. All the birds, he has the best vision in the world. The vision of, a, of the eagle is by far the best. I don't know why I know this since I was like five years old, but for some reason, that was the first answer I said when I went to fifth grade here in America. The teacher asked the question, uh, who has the best vision? I eagle. It's the only word I knew in English. The teacher thought I was a genius. There's just knew one thing. She did oh She didn't know the rest of what I know. So anyway... I knew this. I knew this eagle has good vision. So the eagle, 3,000 feet in the air. He's a plane. He sees a little mouse, tiny little mouse. Mouse sometimes right next to us. We don't see him. Eagle sees him in the air. He stops what he's doing. Finished. That mouse was dead already while the eagle was in the air. He was already doing Kanisha himself. You know, he's not running away. He's finished doing hadith. All the all the, the why he's going as the guy's gonna be another one of 30, 40 seconds, have a party. Let's have a party, do do a goodbye party for you. He's finished. Why? The eagle spotted you, you're done. When you learn Torah, you have to be like an eagle. You have to look at things and you have to look for the truth. No matter what the cost is, even if the cost of the truth is your livelihood, even if the cost of your truth is your marriage. Even if the cost of the truth is your whole emet that you thought is emet until now, and you realize you're wrong, you have to abandon ship and you have to go to where the emet is. You have to be like like an eagle. You cannot be so egotistical and thinking, oh, if I'm not right, I don't want to play anymore. If I'm not going to win, I'm not going to play anymore. That's a loser mentality. You have to know in Torah, you're going to be wrong more than you're going to be right. So when you find out you're wrong, Yudah ben Tema tells you you have to be an eagle. What? Abandon ship? Go to where the right is. Go where the emet is. Yeah, but the emet means I have to wake up early in the morning to go to Be'knesset and I don't feel like doing it and the emet tells me that I have to learn 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10 hours a day and the emet says I have to leave this job and the emet says I have to leave this girl and the emet says I have to do. I have to change my whole life around. Exactly. You want to be a Yehudi? You want to be a Jew? You have to be an eagle. You have to be light like an eagle. You have to be able to change directions just like the eagle changes directions, despite how heavy he is. Now, if it just said, listen, you should uh, fly like a bird and go here and go there, it'd give you a little uh, peacock or something. A little hummingbird. you ever see a hummingbird? How cute they are? They look like little ro- cockroaches with wings. They're tiny, but it's amazing. You ever see these in California? My brother has. He's got this uh, little sugar tank. Remember my... Uh, parents-in-law, they had it in Tennessee. They lived in Tennessee. It's like a little little plastic thing and they put sugar water in it, like syrup, in places where they have hummingbirds. And all these hummingbirds come and drink sugar, drink this uh, liquid from it. And it's amazing because it's the only bird that flies in the same spot. Like it doesn't fly like other birds where they're constantly moving in motion forward, up, down and so on. They literally, it's amazing. HaShem, it's amazing. You see this bird, it's literally this big. It's tiny, but it's a bird. It's a real bird. It's tiny, and it's flying in the same spot. How does it get
1: to that
0: spot? Wait a minute, it flies. It flies from there, and then it stops and it just stops where it is. Exactly. It stays there. What's the purpose? So you can drink the water. I can't give you guys Discovery Channel uh yeah. Shirim yeah. anymore. We're gonna stick to Torah from now on. It's too much for you guys. We're gonna right, uh, we have to stick to Torah. Uh. And anyway no it's spot
1: spot amazing.
0: Hashem decided. <laughs> Hashem, Hashem wanted it. Hashem wanted it. So now, first thing we learn is we have to change directions just like the eagle. But, Chachamim also say, the Sefer HaMussar says that sometimes this is referring to people that learn Torah, but because instead of using their Torah to soften their character, to become more humble, to become more kind, to become a better human being, in fact they become worse, they become arrogant. But why do they become arrogant? The Sefer HaMussar says they become arrogant in front of their teacher. They see their teacher. He says, just as the eagle soars on high and also swoops down, so must a brilliant scholar not puff themselves up in the presence of their teacher. They must listen humbly and minister to the needs of, the, of their elders. So sometimes these people, they learn a little bit of Torah. They came to a few shurim. They learn a few things. You gave them the stage to do a siyum sehet Instead of saying Baruch Hashem I learned I did Shuvahi I did good, everything is good. what do they do? Yeah I know more than him. I already passed him. I already passed the teacher. maybe he passed french fries. what passed the teacher? People sometimes instead of, instead of get, taking a compliment and getting chizuk out of this compliment to keep going, they take it to their head. And I can tell you that almost in every single case of a Talmud going against a rabbi, it's always that. I know in my experience it is. I give somebody a compliment. Wow, Chazaku Baruch. All of a sudden he makes it think like I uh, called him Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the Mashiach now. People should start making uh, flags of him. Compete with the mashiachistim uh, from Chabad. So the tool, the tool says, the lesson of the eagle is that man must be swift and agile in ignoring the enticement of sin. Just as an eagle glides through the sky and is able to change directions almost effortlessly, so should man teach himself to recoil easily from the beckoning of evil. In so many words, a person needs to see where the Yetzara is. Now the problem with the Yetzarah, the Gemara says, the Yetzara Moshe called him Ra. Yetzirah has seven names, the Gemara says. But then another Gemara says he has a few more names. What does it mean? What is the first Gemara wrong? No, it's right. The seven names are names that different of our four different uh, characters within our, our forefathers called them. David Amedach called them a certain name. Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe. Each one gave him a name. The other names are names that other gave him. What does it mean, all these names? The Gemara says the Eitzara is like a zvuv on your heart. It's like a fly on your heart. Last I checked, there's no flies on your heart. I don't have to go inside. I know, he wouldn't survive. Not a good diet for him. But the Gemara says he's like a fly on your heart. Why? If you have, if you ever see a fly doesn't matter how many times you shoo him away, he comes back. You want to eat nice juicy steak, burger, to build that nice third or fourth chin you want to add to the add to your face. You know, you want to have another burger, but the fly shows up and he arrives in the burger first. He came there first. He goes, it's mine. Find, it's mine. Find his keepers. He's like, get out of here. He flies away. You look away, he's back. Sometimes you look at him and he comes back anyway. Isn't it? That's the Yetzirah. That's the Yetzirah Rabotaih. Yet, Sarah, doesn't matter how many times you beat him. You didn't look at this girl, he's going to give you another girl. You didn't look at that girl, he's going to give you another girl. You didn't steal over here, he's going to give you another opportunity to steal. You didn't lie, he's going to give you another opportunity to lie. Every single thing, he's not leaving. Okay, so now you're good. Baruch Hashem, you're going to nets every day. Okay, so now you're going to miss Mincha instead. He's not going to bother you for for, for He's like, oh, this guy is the best. This guy goes to nets. He lives there. He's nets. He's, he's, he's a nets. He's a nets. Also means a falcon. He's a falcon. Not a, he goes a falcon, or he's already a nets. But he never goes to minchado. And he's like, no, oh, but I go to nets. But by the way, do you know what's the biggest prayer of the day? Mincha. Mincha is bigger than shachrit. That's when Eliyahu and Avi had the showed Am Yisrael who's boss. When when they didn't want to worship Hashem, they wanted to follow the idols. He says, you want to follow idols? Go follow the idols. No rain. No rain will be here until you all do tshuva. Three years, no rain. People are dying. People are starving. After three years, Hashem says, Eliyahu, get out of the cave. Eliyahu goes and he says, oh, you want to see who, who runs the world? Okay, you bring all of your uh, rabbis, all your people, all your Avdiavodah Zarah, your idol worshippers. You bring all your things. And I, me, I have won my kolban. I go my Hashem. And we have to show in front of everyone who's boss. Do all the magic you want to do kolban. You have to bring a fire from heaven to eat the kolban, to eat your sacrifice. So they all bring a cow. One guy brings this cow. One guy brings this, that cow. And then they all try and nothing happens. And the all says to them, uh, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe, maybe he's sleeping. You should wake. Maybe wait for him. Let's wait for him. He makes fun of them. Torah says he makes fun of them. It's mitzvah to make fun of idolatry. Idolatry, idol worship. Avodah Zarah. Mitzvah to make fun of Avodah Zarah. Mutar, it's a mitzvah. Let's talk on him.
1: It's
0: a mitzvah to make fun of Avodah Zarat so much so that the Shuchan Aruch I'll tell you something, Shuchan Aruch I wouldn't tell you this if it's not Shuchan Aruch Shuchan Aruch says, if somebody says why don't you come worship my Buddha why don't you come worship my JC JCPenney Shuchan Aruch says, you can take that JC JCPenney and put it in your butt Shuchan Aruch says it Shulchan Aruch says you could take your idol, put it in your butt. It says it in those words. It says it in those words. Go check. Go check. It says it. Why? Levazot. Levazot. Et ha'avodah zara. Levazot. It's mitzvah. I'll show you. After. After? Now I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you
1: now. There's
0: a lot of shukhan Aruch. I don't know if that's the truth. So anyway, Rabotai, the... To make fun of idolatry is a mitzvah in the Torah. Now, now, the Chachamim always made sure to protect our speech, to protect our words, but they said there's only one exception. When it comes to idolatry, when it comes to idolatry, you have to make fun of it as much as possible. Still, don't get to a point where you're talking like a truck driver, but you can use certain words like I just said. So Yahu so, and yeah, made fun of these people, telling them maybe uh, your God's sleeping. After uh, they wait a little while, he says, okay, maybe your God has a hearing problem. Why don't we say it louder? Say it louder. It didn't work. He said, maybe you should uh, help him out. Maybe you could turn on the fire or something. <laughs> Nothing worked. So then Avi takes a bunch of water and he pours it all over the Koban to make sure he makes it the least inflammable Koban in the history of mankind. And Bauch Hashem, of course, during the Mincha prayer that he did is when Hashem brings the fire and burns the Koban. To show the world who runs the world. So this very same I Avi. Tells Am Yisrael in several places in Tanah Develiyahu the cost of not doing tshuva. Some of the things he says, if you look at Tanah Develiyahu, some of the things that he says are very scary. Because Eliyahu Navi actually knows what's going on in Shemaim. Unlike us, we just have theories about what's going on in Shemaim. Eliyahu Navi actually knows what's going on in Shemaim. But sometimes, Eliyahu Navi, he sees somebody that looks like a tzaddik. And the Gemara says that one time he saw somebody that looks like a really big tzaddik. And when he saw him go out of the B't Knesset, he covered his face, like the guy smells terrible. And he asked him, why? When you pass the dead animal in the street just a little while ago, Everyone else covered their face. You didn't. When you saw this guy, looks like a tzaddik, everything good. The guy is actually tall, handsome. He's the Gabay of the Beknesset. You covered your face like, you, uh, like it was garbage pail. What happened? He says, the dead animal in the middle of the street had nice teeth. This person had nothing nice about him. Meaning his midot, his character traits were so terrible, there's nothing good about him. There's nothing good about him. Sometimes you're going to see certain people look a certain way, but they're not. So the Chachamim say, to be light as an eagle is not always referring to people that are to be changed direction in your learning and so on and so forth, but also it's referring to people that are going too fast. Going too fast with certain mitzvot that are bigger than them. They make themselves... feel fig- Look as if they're bigger than what they really are. So, for example, sometimes you can see a guy start doing chuva, and all of a sudden, a month later, he's got a beard longer than his rabbis. And everybody sees him and says, Ah, kvodarav, kvodarav. guy doesn't know how to take khriachma yet, but he already has a beard bigger than his rabbi. Looks deceiving. Okay, beard is free, no problem. It's not the end of the world. If it was up to me, I'd tell people you shouldn't grow a beard until you at least. Finish the Shas or something. Finish the Tanakh. Finish uh, Chumash. Finish something. Finish Kirat Shema. Finish something. Do something. Don't just grow a beard and look some look a certain way. Be a Jew in, in action. Finish something. Do something. But sometimes people like to do things that are too extreme. They hear a shiur, they get a chizuk from a shiur and say, you know what, from now on, no more uh, technology for me. No more internet. No more iPhone. No more computer. No more car. No more microwave. No more TV. No more uh, toothbrush. They go back to caveman. No more anything. This is khoban. This is a destruction in the making. Why? You just did Tshuva a month ago. You just did Tshuva six months ago. You cannot become Bnei Brak in six months. You cannot become Rav Kanievsky in six months. You cannot. Now I know this week, Baruch Hashem, we're doing a Dalona Kodesh. I think this week is the best one yet, Baruch Hashem. And we're having a, our guest, uh, our guest um, Rabbi of this week is Rabbi Zev. Rabbi Aaron Zev. Tadi Kadosh from uh, New York and uh, when I spoke to him about it, if he wants to write something he said to me how am I going to send it to you? I said uh, now I know him so I understood what the question meant I said, Kudarav, you don't use a computer, right? he goes, no, not so much, no no." I said, uh, okay can, can you have a typewriter? he goes, no, not so much, not typewriter he alright, can you text it to me? The text I can do, I can write it, and then maybe my daughter can take a picture of it. Now he knows every single Duff and the Gemara by heart. One time I told him, I wish I was like you, remember all the Gemara by heart. He goes, no, nah, what I know, the Gemara by heart, every day I forget a few pages. <laughs> oh, he says, oh, every day I forget a few pages. I wish I knew a few pages. Forget, I forget a few pages. I wish I knew a few pages. He said, "Oh, every day I forget a few pages." Why? What are you talking about? This is the last generation, Rabotai. He's a, the guy. He doesn't he? Doesn't think of nothing. It's like, he, every day I forget a few pages. Yes, but this is a person. Why does he know so many pages? Because he watches his eyes. He watches his breath. He watches his neshama. And he's a person that has trained himself through a lifetime and cut certain things from his life or didn't add certain things to his life that weren't necessary. But this is the last generation that did it that way. And there's certain people that live in the world that are continuing to do it. But if you are like me and like the average person in the world that grew up with an iPhone already by the time you were 10, and were watching TV as soon as you left the, uh, the, the, the uterus, you are already watching TV, You already knew all the programs by heart by the time you were six. Like you knew the shas, Instead of knowing the shas, you know every program by heart. And you were surrounded and consumed by technology. To just say, I'm going to give this up after 30 years. I'm going to give this up. And after three months or six months of learning Torah, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. And on that such a person... Shlomo Amelech writes in Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, chapter 7, verse 16, Al Tietzadikarbe. Al What does it mean, don't be overly righteous? Isn't that the point to be righteous? Isn't the whole point of our Torah is to make you righteous? So, how is it that the smartest man of all time, the wisest man of all time, the person that had wisdom that's beyond? Even our imagination. Our imagination cannot reach the wisdom that Shlomo Melech had. If we imagine, you know, sometimes you dream, you imagine like you're flying, it's the best dream. You fly shh, right, left, especially, you're if, especially if you know you're, if you're actually you know you're, you're dreaming.
1: Until you fall, and that's
0: the worst. You wake up. Oh, no, I don't have those dreams. I'm always flying. You never fall? No, that's the one. But anyway, so you're flying, you can imagine yourself flying. But you can't imagine yourself being like Shlomo Melech. That's how much wisdom he had. You cannot even imagine, you cannot even dream like being like Shlomo Melech. So now, Shlomo Melech says this, the wise man of all time, Do not be overly righteous or exceedingly wise. Why be left so desolate? Shlomo Melech tells us that sometimes this neshel, sometimes this eagle, which the Sfarim HaKadoshim say that he had a private eagle, that he would fly on, by the way, which we'll talk about in a different shul. Shlomo Amalekh says sometimes a person is doing tshuva, but sometimes he goes a little too fast with the things that are exterior-based. The neshama still is full of chulent. The neshama is still full of tolaim, still full of worms and maggots, but the exterior, he wants to make sure everyone looks at him. He's like, eh, khoda raf, khoda raf, khoda raf, khoda raf. He says, don't focus so much on the exterior. Why? You're not going to use the internet. You're not going to this. You're not going to. Don't focus so much on the exterior. Be, it tzaddik, be it, but relax. Why? Because this could lead you to be. This could lead you to fall." if you go too fast with certain things that you're not able to do, right now, it's not expected of you to not use the phone. You just it's chuba six months ago. Somebody sees you as using the phone, they're not going to celebrate your name or anything, but they're going to say, oh, it's normal. It's a regular person. But if you stop using the phone, stop using your uh, smartphone, after only three, four, five, six months of chuba, and then... You hold out from technology for six months. You go to Kolo for six months. You go to Or Samah in Israel or in Manzi for six months, a year. No phone, no computer, no this, no nothing. Fine, good for you. Looks great. Now what happens when you come out? Come out. Your friends that you left, they stay the same. No one changed. They still have phones. They still watch TV. They still do everything. Now, I'm not telling you to go watch TV. That you're never allowed to do. But you have to get a job. How are you going to get a job? Who, what are they going to call? What are they going to call your friend? Your friend's going to say, hey, hey, Steve, somebody's calling you. From where? From AT&T. Oh, it's a bill? No, no, it's a job. They're calling my phone. Like, what, what are you going to do? You need a phone. So, you have to understand There's certain things, people go too far. More than once, twice, or even ten times, I got certain people that got some chizuk from the shiurim. They say, I watch all your lectures, Bauch Hashem, the shirim are great. It helped me with this, it helped me with that, it helped me with this, it helped me with that. Watching it for a year, watching it for six months, and so on. Yeah, but I watch, you said you have to watch your eyes, so you know what? I'm just not going to watch YouTube anymore. I'm not going to watch lectures anymore. I'm not going to watch anything anymore. I'm going to throw my computer out in the garbage. And they don't ask you, they just tell you they're going to do it. Not that they need a the permission, but they just, people decide this is the best step for them. This is a mitzvah from the Satan. Why? The one way you did chuva was through using the computer for good. Now you're using that same computer to destroy your shuvah. Now you can't watch shurim. So how, how are you, you going to do chuva? What do you think? You finished after a year? After 90 years you're not finished. You're going to finish after a year because you watch watching shurim? This is the Satan convincing people to abandon ship before they get too, too much, too righteous. So a person needs to understand. It's not that you're supposed to, it's not that the Torah expects you to go back to Mount Sinai when there was no computers. Go back to Mount Sinai when there was no phones. That's not teaching. You're not teaching yourself or your children anything by telling them that all of these things don't exist. Because that's a lie. They do exist. Phones exist. TVs exist. Computers exist. All of these things exist. Whether you like them or not, they exist. You could do good with them, and you could do bad with them. But they do exist. To pretend like they don't exist, you're just setting yourself up or your kids up for failure. And that's why many times, some of these households... They make the mistake of pretending like these things don't exist, one day the kids grow up, they leave the house, and they realize, wow, it's a whole new world. Everything actually exists. There's phones, and there's cars, and there's people, and there's, there's all this stuff. And they break down. Because they get all at once. They've lived 18, 20 years with nothing. And now it's everything like they just, they went to the city for the first time to get a job, or for shidduch for or something. And they saw it's like a whole new world. And they break down. They don't know what to do with themselves. And unfortunately, sometimes they don't have the spiritual fortitude to be a strong person, to be the Namil, to be the leopard that's strong enough to stick, out, stick it out, and they fall. It starts with a the phone, then it's a cigarette on Shabbat, then it's driving on Shabbat, then all of a sudden they have all these questions where they don't believe in God anymore. And all of a sudden, everything has gone to the garbage. Why? Because they've been lied to their whole life. And the Torah specifically tells us, Midvar Shekir From a thing of lies, run away from it. And they don't say, don't lie. It says, stay away as far away from it. Not only don't lie, stay away from it. So what do we do with this technology? We continue pretending it doesn't exist? No. We have to understand it does exist. Rabban Gamliel says a person should never say, I don't want to eat milk and meat. He's a liar. He wants to eat milk and meat. So what should he say? He should say, I want to eat milk and meat, but what can I do that my Father in Heaven said no? I'm not allowed. That is the reason for all of the mitzvot rabotai. All of these technological tools can be used for good and for bad. We are supposed to train ourselves and our children of how to determine what is good and what is bad. To simply say, no, it doesn't exist, is not teaching them. It's putting them in a box. It's not teaching. Now, if you, before you did shuvah, had a television with a cable box connected to it, take the cable box, and throw it in the garbage. Why? Because cable is never kosher. But the TV, on the other hand, can be used for kosher reasons. If you have kosher DVDs that you've already looked through, they're Torah DVDs. You can use that TV, that screen, that square, to watch Torah. The cable box is the Satan. Not the TV. TV is just a tool to watch. If you go and get kosher programming, you could actually use the, this TV to learn Torah, to teach Torah. It's a screen. There's nothing wrong with it. If you teach your kids, yes, yes TVs exist, but we could only watch this, then you're teaching the kid, if you want to teach the kid, that this is allowed, this is not allowed. There are certain things that are allowed, there are certain things that are not allowed. Same thing with a phone. If you put a certain sensor on the phone, you're much better off than just telling the kids and pretending like phones don't exist. Why? Because you're using a phone. So every time your kid's saying, yeah, Abba says the phone doesn't exist, but he's a liar. I see him using it. So all you're teaching him is that you're a liar. Yeah, Abba says there's no phone, but I saw him use it. He's a liar. Kid's going to hate you. So... Tell him, listen, the phone exists, but it's not for you. You're too young to have a phone. You're not going to be the 8-year-old kid with a phone. You're not going to be a 10-year-old kid with a phone. Phones exist. But even on the phone, if I'm ever going to let you use it when you're a certain age, I'm only going to let you use it the same way I let you use this screen. For educational purposes, not to play uh, games. To watch you Torah, to learn Torah, and so on and so forth. That way, Rabbutai, we're teaching ourselves, we're teaching our children how to navigate the yetzerah because the yetzerah is not leaving he's a zvuv, he's a fly he's coming he's leaving he's coming he's leaving he's coming he's leaving he's constantly there he's not leaving he's not you can't just eliminate him you have to develop a Yetzera immune system what's a yetzerah immune system a yetzerah immune system is a, Yitzhara, is a immune system where you understand that he exists but you are developing the strength and the fortitude to deal with him. The only way you can learn how to deal with the virus is if you have the antibiotics in your body already. If you've already had the sickness in your body. If you don't have these sickness in your body, as soon as that virus hits, you're doomed. This is why there's all these vaccination shots. Little kids, little babies get these vaccination shots. Only, we only recommend to get the bare minimum, whatever is absolutely necessary, not all the other garbage that poisons people today. But they get it, why? Because if you put, you give these kids the vaccination shot, you're actually making them sick, technically, but only a little bit sick, enough sick to help them develop an immune system. So when the real sickness, if it comes, we have a defense system. We have a way to deal with it. You're showing the kid that the phone exists and the TV exists, not because, you're, listen, you should spend your whole day on TV and all day on the phone. No, Chaz V'Shalom. That's Khoban. Spend all day in books. But to know that there's a time and a place for this, and there's a way to use it in a kosher way. This, ravotai is the truth, because if you just simply tell your kids things don't exist, eventually those kids are going to say you're a liar. And they're going to use that excuse to go listen to their new rabbi called the Satan. Can't lie to kids. Kids are smarter than us. So, if a person wants to be a tzaddik, he wants to be shalem with Hashem. He has to be like like as an eagle and understand that even the eagle, even the eagle spots his prey, spots his prey, and goes after the prey that he can handle. He's going gonna to go after the rat. He's going to go after the mouse. He's going to go even after the uh, little sheep. But he's not going after the lion. As good of his vision is, he's not going after the lion. Why? He can't handle the lion. Don't think you can handle a lion mitzvah and say, no, no, from now on, I just started learning Gemara a year ago. From now on, I'm doing 10 hours without speaking dibu, 10 hours every day. Every day I'm not talking for 10 hours. Yeah, and eventually you're going to lose your mind. And you're not going to know who to talk to. So Shlomo Melech says, don't be overly righteous or excessively wise. Why? Be left desolate. Because that type of behavior will leave you alone in the woods. You're going to make yourself an antisocial person. you make yourself a person that no one wants to associate with. Even if you were social, you're gonna make yourself detestable by society. You're not supposed to do mitzvot and make you look weird. Sometimes there are certain people that want to pretend that they're such sadikim, they want to show the whole world. So they walk around with a mop on their head, as if they're covering their eyes. They walk around with the mamash, they walk around with a towel over their head. You see them sometimes in airports. This is stupidity. Now, of course, the word came in previous generations that did it. But these were people that were Kodesh Kodeshim that were known to be all the time this way and not just make pretend. And the reality is, Rabotai, is that we have to stop pretending. We have to stop pretending that we are something that we're not. One time somebody was pretending to be the Rabbi misans, Rabbi Chaim misans. Not the same one I told you guys about last week. The original Rebbe from his sons. And it was pulling. And he was joking around. He was pretending that he was the Rebbe. Now, the Rebbe knew. The Rebbe was a... Uh, everybody knew that uh, the Rebbe had a lot of pain. Everybody knew he was sick. Had a lot of pain in his body. No one actually knew how much, though. How did they know? Because the Rebbe would always say, Ah, ooh, mm, ah. You always see every time he moves, little mm, little ah. It's not as smooth, Baal HaShem. Like everybody here, you get up, no sounds, no ah. Everybody here, Baal HaShem, is fine. Everybody here, Baal HaShem, is healthy. You don't understand what it means to have pain twenty four hours a day, Baal HaShem. I tell you, have twenty four hours a day, you have pain. To you, it doesn't doesn't make any sense. You should thank God just for that. The fact that you don't understand, when I say 24 hours, except you one person actually knows. One, maybe two of you knows. 24 hours a day pain, you don't know what it means, you should thank Hashem just for that. Everything else is extra. So, Rabbi Chaim sons had pain 24 hours a day. So one person thought it was funny to pretend to be the Rabbi Chaim. And he put the coat on and the hat and the this and the that. And he would say, ooh, and ah, and, mm, and ah. And everyone was laughing and everyone was enjoying until the Rebbe Misans came in and saw it. And he saw that he was making fun of his pain. And he saw that he was pretending to be him. He said, oh, if you're already going to be me, be the real me. If you're going to say, oi and "u," oh, so have the oi and "u." And a second later, the person started screaming hysterical as if he's on fire for a minute straight. For one minute straight, he had the pain that the Rebbe misans had every day, 24 hours a day. Did you want to be the Rebbe? You want to feel the pain? Have it a little bit. Have a little time. Understand why I say, Ooh, ah! Understand, one minute only, not 24 hours. Not 24 hours. It's very common for the tzaddikim to have a lot of pain. Very, very common. Now, my clock today, I don't know where we're at. Oh, still early. Still early. The next that we see here is Ratz katzvi. Ratz Ketzvi, swift as a deer. Yudah ben Tema says you have to be swift like a deer. Meaning, to run instinctively, to perform mitzvah, or to help another person. When you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, don't procrastinate and the tool says, as soon as you have a mitzvah, perform it immediately. Without a second of delay. Why? Because as soon as you delay a mitzvah, you're giving the Yetzarah an open-door policy. Chachamim, the Rashi says on uh, Exodus, Sefer Shemot, chapter 12, verse 17, it says you shall safeguard the matzot. When it talks about the matzot, in the Torah, it says you shall safeguard the matzot. But the vowel system in Hebrew is such that the word matzot and mitzvot are spelled exactly the same, it's just that the dots are in different places. So Rashi says that this is a secret that Hashem is telling us, not only, thank you, thank you. Not only safeguard the matzot, but safeguard the mitzvot. How? As soon as... As you learn about matzot, you learn that the matzot have to be made in a specific amount of time. If you disregard them for a second, and there you let them rise for one second too long, tit, chametz, no good. The matzah is now pita; it's no good. He says you should watch your mitzvot the same way. You delay it a little bit long. Another 15 minutes of sleep in the morning. I'll get there anyway on time because I want to drive faster. I'll go to the later minyan. I'll go to the earlier minyan. I'll go to this year, I'll go to that shiur. You start playing with your mitzvot. You start playing with them. It says you're not safeguarding your mitzvot. Your rabbi tells you bring a notebook to this shiur. You don't bring a notebook. What do you bring? Oh, I brought my brain. I brought my brain. I remember everything you said. He asked the guy, so what was the shiur about? Oh, didn't you talk about Moshe Rabbeinu? No, that was last week. Oh, didn't you talk about Avram? No, no, that was three weeks ago. Why'd you come? If you're not going to listen to the shiur, why'd you come? If you're not going to listen to the shiur, why'd you come? For what? Why are you wasting your time? Go watch basketball. At least give the Yitzhak the full win. A person needs to understand that he is a representative of Hashem. Not a representative of himself. Wherever you are, you have to take advantage of that opportunity. Rabbeinu Yonah in Tiferet Yisrael says that to be rats like a tzvi, to be swift like a deer, means to run to Torah without getting tired, like the deer. A deer, when it's chased by some other predator, you see that the deer never gets tired. Keeps going and going and going. No, You're never going to see a deer just taking a break, maybe having a drink a little bit, a little Gatorade. Never see him take a rest. He runs like the wind. Tiferet Israel says, Yes, you got to run like the deer, but not just for mitzvot. Run like the deer, away from heretics. Away from people that spread falsehood. Run away from them. What does he mean, run like a deer? He says, run and don't even look back like the deer. The deer, you see him run, 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 and then after a while he looks back. because goes, don't be like the deer over here. Opposite. Go and don't stop. Run away from the heretics. Why? They're probably chasing you with their falsehood. Run away from them. Give him a tissue if you don't Rambam says that if somebody is a kufil on purpose meaning he's not just going against the Torah he's going against the Torah with a tachlit, with some type of mission. He wants to get people to become uh, less religious he wants them to go to the club not only are you not allowed to talk to them you're not allowed to help them even if they ask for help not allowed. Rambam says you're not allowed to help them even if they want to do chuvah. If somebody is a heretic, where, uh, thank you, skin is not I really meant. If somebody is a heretic, where he tries to get other people to become a chalet Shabbat, to become Christians, like a missionary, or uh, what they call today, they don't call Christians Christians anymore. They call them Messianic Jews. So uh, you have a person like that, even if he comes to you on four and he says, I want to do tshuva, you're not allowed to accept him not allowed to help him. He wants to do chuvah, let him do chuvah on his own. You're not allowed to help him. Why? Because he's too dangerous. And that's what Tiferet Israel says. Once he's a heretic, you have to run away from him and don't look back. You can't give him a second chance. Why? It's too dangerous. Too dangerous for society. Is a
1: regular secular person
0: considered a heretic? No. Regular secular person, if he's a normal regular secular person where he just doesn't know anything, he's ignorant. He doesn't know anything. Then he is okay. I'll give you an example. i give you an example. You always ask wonderful questions. I always wonder where I'm going to add some of the stuff that I bring for you guys. And I don't know. I don't know where. And then you ask good questions and you help me. So. So. The. Geonim ask a question, v'anagot This is written shortly after the time of the Gemara. Meaning that these people that wrote this, they knew everything that happened at the time of the Gemara. It wasn't like a story like it is for us. Oh yeah, this happened 2,000 years ago. This happened to their grandfather. This happened to their father. This was the... Right at that stage. It talked about the mitzvah of shmirat enayim, the mitzvah of watching your eyes. It says, "Aitzal shmirat enayim, adochot v'anagot reiyah." It says, "Shela, question: How do we stop from you know looking at women?" So here they're using a source from the geonim. And it says, It says when you, there's going to be women that cross your path. And like I told you guys, I believe it was last week or two weeks ago. It says you have to focus your eyes on a specific point. Look your eyes at a specific point, and don't look elsewhere. That way, once you train your eyes, when you focus at a specific point, like, for example, I can look at this point. Now, all of you think I'm looking at you, or at least the ones that are in front of me think that I'm looking at me, and I'm actually looking at none of you. I'm looking behind you. Like, right now, you think I'm looking at you. I'm actually looking at the painting behind you. So, you could focus your eyes at a specific point, well, you don't have to see what's in front of you. You could elect where to look at. You could train your eyes that way. It's not. It's not some big It's just uh, training your eyes, like anything else. It says. So it says, why should you wash your eyes? Why should you watch your eyes? What's the uh, big deal here? It says, this is the this this is what leads to foolishness by not watching your eyes is leads to foolishness and leads to arrogance. What what is the example that we have from the uh, the Geonim? It says Beotzara <laughs> Geonim. Sham bechelk atzuvot musbar shakavana leotoa ish Yeshua nutzri. It says the Geonim say, literally right after the time of the Gemara, it says that not watching the eyes was the beginning of the end of this Yeshua nutzri. J. C. Penny, that was the beginning of his end. Gavai na'im, ba'al na'im Ramot, shaya olech u'meshotet yeminu small used to. Look up instead of looking away. Would actually look up, look at anything that moves pretty much, right, left, and never put his eyes down. Just like the tzaddikim, any time they see a woman, even from far away, they see a woman immediately look at the floor. Immediately they look at the floor and they start following their feet to make sure they don't. Doesn't matter how old she is; they know her. They don't know her. They don't know. It doesn't make a difference. They look on the floor. He says, him, hey, this Yeshua, not like them. He would actually look. And eventually he looked at a certain woman and he said with her. Why? Why? This is a geonim. This is right after, this is during that time. It's people that saw this happen. They're not telling you, oh yeah, we heard. They're telling you, this is what happened with him. We saw it. This is another ohaha of how Am Yisrael is the only documented proof that this guy even existed. And he was a Rasha Merusha. But the point is, Rabotai, he says that his whole, the whole Maaseh with Yeshu, with, with J.C. Penny, started with not watching his eyes. As Rabbi Yusha, uh, Yeshua ben Parachia tells in the Gemara, several places. Several places you're going to see, in several places in the Gemara, in Masechet Sotah, in uh, Avodazara, Sanedrim, Gitin, a few places in the Gemara, Yeshu is mentioned. And uh, But in today's Arch scroll and most gemara tractates that you see today, they don't mention him by name. And the reason why is because there was a censura, there was a censure by the goyim when they saw his name and they saw how wicked he was in reality and it kind of ruined their whole religion, they started killing us in the streets. So they started uh, forcing Amishle, they started burning Gmarot, burning our books and so on. So the Chachamim decided to change the, uh, the remove his name. And it would call something similar. But there's still copies of the old Gmarot that have his name on it. And sometimes they change the name itself. So for example, one place that I actually learned recently is that there are different names for the New Testament in the Gemarat. One of them I just learned recently is ongleyon, When it mentions Ongleon, the book of ongleyon. In Nigmara, in a different uh, 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 Tzadikim, Tzadikim, Chachamim, the wrote books, it's referring to the New Testament. There are other names also. But the point is that you see that his whole story, this person had the best rabbi in the world. Rabbi yusha ben Pachya was the best rabbi in the world. The He was able to revive the dead. He wasn't uh, something mediocre. He was before Abi Akiva. He was before all of the giants that we see today, that we learn about. This is in the beginning of the Mishnah we learned about him. He's in the sixth Mishnah. Meaning this guy had the best of the best. But what happened? He didn't watch his eyes. He looked at a woman. That's it. All bets are off. All bets are off. So even when Rabbi Yishov uh, and came to him, he says, Do tshuva. Do tshuva. He said, you taught me yourself that once I become a makhtia rabim, once I become a, uh, I cause other people to sin, there's no tshuva for me. And he used that as an excuse and he didn't do tshuva. And that's why he's in al Tachat until this day. But sometimes people are looking for the truth. Some, sometimes they're looking for excuses. His whole disastrous story that has been causing harm to Amislai for the last 2,000 years started with something that most people today don't even think is a sin not watching your eyes. When, he, when they went to a motel, when they were trying to uh, come back to their old city, they stopped at a motel and the hostess. The, the baalat was very ni- kind to them, and his rabbi said to him, "Oh, what a nice woman!" Yeshua Nutzi thought that he's talking about how good looking she is. So, oh, but no, she's not really that looking. She has round eyes, meaning she, her eyes were a little off. Maybe she was poselit. Maybe she looked, one eye looked one way, the other one looked another way. Maybe a uh, she something something was uh, wasn't to his likings, but he became so tame, so impure because of him not watching his eyes that he thought everybody else was like him. And that's the problem of a sinner. A sinner gets so disgustingly filthy with his sins, he starts thinking that everybody else is like him. And that's what, instead of making him one of the gdoleado, your rabbi is the gdolado, at the very least you're going to be a talmit hacham. If you have extra talent, maybe you're gonna be the next one. Instead of that, he ended up becoming the biggest Rasha in history. Yes, and he wasn't Mamzir. Yeah. That we talked about in different Shu. Ken. Ken. Haman, Haman didn't succeed in this plan. Even him, yeah. The gibor Ari. The next thing is Rabotay is Yuda tells us you have to be as strong as a lion. Now the tool, as I told you last week, the tool in his four books of the tool that talk about the mitzvot, talk about the uh, alachot that Alemah say you know, to, to put into action, he actually starts his whole monumental work of alacha talking about this Mishnah. And he gives each one of the uh, categories uh, chidush about it. The tool says that one should emulate the lion and approach the service of Hashem with a strong heart and an iron will. What does it mean? To have a strong heart and an iron will. Someone asked Rav Kanievsky, what's the most difficult Mida? What's the most difficult character trait? of Kanievsky, says, midata emet. The character trait of emet. The character trait of truth. Why? Once you have it, once you have this emet, once you've achieved an understanding of what emet is, and the monumental importance of sticking to it, you can never veer off, even if you want to. Once you know that this is truth, Once you know that there's a truth, it's not that you believe God exists. You know He exists. There's a very different, there's a very, very big difference between believing and knowing. I believe, I believe that you guys are enjoying part of this you. I believe. But I don't know for sure. You may just feel bad for me and want to show up. But I believe that you're enjoying this you. I know there's a cup of water. That I know. I see the water. I don't see what's in your mind. You said, I believe you're enjoying the shiur. I believe you want to do tshuva and so on and so forth. I believe. But I don't know. I know there's a cup of water in my hand. That I know. When a person gets to the midat I emit. when a person gets to the truth, even if he wants to veer off of it, it's suffering for him. Why? Because he knows he's he's lying to himself. He knows he's lying to himself. He's suffering with the sin. One time, a person called um, one of the funny one of the funniest per- people on the world in the world. Um, I forget his name. He's a rabbi, big mezakeh rabim in Israel. I'll remember his name shortly. Ah, yeah, Rav Leslie. Rav Leslie. He calls Rav Leslie and they tell him, "For the Rav, you have to help us. You helped us do tshuva, you have to help this uh, my, our brother do tshuva. My brother, my a, three brothers did tshuva. One is not having done tshuva, and he hates rabbis more than anybody else in the world. We've never seen anything like it. He's in Thailand right now with Abu dazzara with all types of garbage in the world. We're trying to tell him to come do tshuva, come to the kola with us, come keep Shabbat. He's laughing. He thinks it's a joke. So we said, you know what? You have to go come see Ima anyway. You have to come see Ima. You have to come see Ima with us. You have to come back from Thailand. We're willing. The three brothers are willing to pay for the ticket, for the plane ticket, for you to come. They have to come anyway. We're willing to pay for the ticket if you want to meet with a rabbi. He said, no. Now I'm meeting with these crazy people, this, that. He goes, okay, five minutes with a rabbi. And uh, it's a funny rabbi. And they gave him all these conditions to make it like a piece of cake. Say so said, we made a five minutes with a rabbi, it's the funniest rabbi, nothing scary, everything is good, ta-da-da. Ah. He's like, oh, right, you're going to pay for the ticket, save myself a thousand bucks, this, that, the other thing, no problem. Five minutes with a rabbi, no problem, fine. But you can't take the money back, he says, if I don't do tshuva. it's like, no, no, no. It's one time, you just five minutes. So the call lastly, and he tells a video, I saw this myself. And uh, they call Rav Leslie and they told him, you're the funny rabbi. You're the funniest rabbi in the world. And we need, need you to, get to do tshuva. He says, five minutes so all you give me? Five minutes? I mean, all the funny jokes. What am I doing five minutes? But then I said to myself, what am I going to do? Tzadik. He says, what am I going to do? He's like, for a second I fooled myself as if I've, I've been making people do tshuva. For a second, I thought to myself, I actually did anything. And then I realized, it has nothing to do with me anyway. The what do they do? chuba has nothing to do with me anyway. All I got to do is tell the truth, whatever way a strategy that Hashem taught me how to do, and that's it. That has nothing. I'm not a uh, funny way. Not funny way. point is, it's Hashem helping them do chuba. I'm just a messenger. I said, you know what? I told them, you know what, guys? Don't worry. I don't even need five minutes. Two minutes I need. They were so happy, he says. Wow, they were so excited. The brothers coming in, all the brothers are excited. there. wow, he's going to do tshuva. Rav is going to make him do tshuva. He's going to be with us at the Kola next week. The whole thing he's going to do some magic trick. Like who knows, going to make him laugh until he becomes religious. Who knows what he's going to do. Now, BeMet, you listened. you listen to his to, to his shiurim. He's funnier than any comedian you can imagine. He's hysterical, but he knows a lot of Torah. enormous amount of Torah. Some people are just funny, but they're a joke. Some people are tamideh hachamim, and they know how to teach Torah in that way. And it works for them. He's one of the very, very few that's still living that actually can do it, and can actually get people to do tshuva. Anyway, uh, the guy comes. He's with the brothers. He calls them. He goes, okay, I'm here. He's like, all right, we're going to send them downstairs. So it's not intimidating. He's not next to the brothers. One-on-one. So Avlasi says, I see this guy, Jmil, big guy. He has a ponytail, like a horse. He's dig, he's like a, he's a giant guy. And I'm this little guy. He doesn't see my face. And I make sure he doesn't see my face. And uh, I have my hat on, I'm looking down and said, It's you because it's you. Say, Okay, let's go for a ride. So we go into this car, he's driving. I said, listen, Hashem, I only have five minutes with this guy. What could I possibly say to the guy in five minutes that's going to make him do tshuva? What am I going to tell him? A joke? Why is that going to make... Like, what am I going to do, Hashem? Hashem, it's up to you. I'm here. I did my yishtadlut. I showed up. I showed up. What I'm going to say, I have no idea. And he says, B'Siyat he started talking. He says, "You know what's going to happen to you when you be a Mechalel Shabbat in Shemaim? They're going to take your face, and they're going to take these pokers, and they're going to poke your eyes, and they're going to go, arr, 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 and they're going to carry you." And he started giving them a description of Geulah. The guy, that huge guy, the Rula, the giant that he is, monster elephant that was a bear two seconds ago, starts going. He loses his mind. Starts getting so scared, almost got into accident. Almost got into a car accident. But he has to listen for five minutes or else the the deal is off. He's listening for five minutes, giving him a description of what they're going to do to him in Geinom. After five minutes, the guy almost hits a few more cars, runs over to the side. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. Five minutes is up. God leaves. He doesn't see his face. Shalom, shalom. A few minutes later, the brother's call of Leslie, angry as can possibly be. What did you do? What kind of rabbi are you? What did you do to our brother? We told him you're a funny guy. He said you're the scariest guy in the world. Now he hates religion even more. What kind of this? And they yell at him and scream at him and this and that. He says, listen, I told Hashem, tell me what to say. This is what he put in my mouth. What do you want me to do? They are so angry with Rav Lasli, what can he do? Five minutes. What are you gonna to say to the five minutes? Five minutes will tell the guy a story about a horse going into a bar why do you have a long face? What are you gonna tell him in five minutes? Or joke, a guy uh, bought his wife a birthday present. He said, Honey, what'd you buy me? He said, I bought you a grave. So a year passed. Get to another birthday. Goes, honey, what'd you buy me? He said, "You didn't use last year's present. When you use that one, I'll get you something else." <laughs> what are you gonna tell him in five minutes They're going to get to him do tshuva? What are you gonna tell him? So anyway, time passes. Almost a year passes from the time Rav Leslie has a seminar with a bunch of other rabbis, and you know, at the end of the weekend. They have, uh, of the seminars, they have people go up and they say what they enjoyed in the seminar, what they liked, what they didn't like, and so on. Now, of Leslie, he saw as soon as people were coming in, these seminars, they do a deal, they make the hotel either free or a discount, so a lot of secular people come for like a vacation, but they have to go to the lecture too. So as soon as it started, he saw this guy, this giant gorilla, with a long ponytail the size of a uh, horse, he sees him coming in, but he didn't say hello to him. He didn't say you. He didn't say anything. So the whole weekend he's giving lectures, and the guy is like into it. At the end of the seminar, he's the first one that stands up. The gorilla stands up, and they say, uh, "No, what'd you get out of it?" He says, "Most amazing weekend ever. I loved it. Where were you guys my whole life? Can't believe it." It's amazing. Wow, it's I want to cut my hair, I want to do this, that. He's excited, he's doing tshuva now. He's finally decided to do tshuva. So Ab sees him, and he says to him, he goes, let me ask you, how did your uh, story start? Like, what got you here? He goes, what well, got me here? Pshh, you're never going to believe me. He goes, tell us, tell us, tell us, what got you here? He doesn't know it's him. He's over here at the end of the stage. He's over, here at the, over there on, uh, what's called over the end of the room. He goes, what got me here? He goes, uh, well, I don't know. I got this. My brother set me up with this meeting with this psychopath rabbi. I've never seen a crazy person like him in my life. This little guy, honestly, was the only guy I've ever, I've ever been scared of in my life. I met with him for five minutes. He tells him the whole story. He tells me about gay nom. Five minutes, I'm scared to death. He goes, okay, so what happened after that? He goes, after that, I got on the next plane back to Thailand. No one after that, because I got to Thailand, and I went back to my life. No one after that, he goes, I had a problem. He goes, what? I couldn't sin anymore. He goes, what do you mean you couldn't sin anymore? He goes, every time I wanted to eat pork, or every time I wanted to eat shrimp, or octopus, or light fire on Shabbat, or anything, it didn't matter what I would do, I'd constantly see his face. Everywhere. On the pan, on the store, on the th- everywhere I would see his face, his scary face. I would see it, and I couldn't sin. I stopped enjoying the sin. Even if I sinned, I didn't enjoy it anymore. It was miserable. He goes, you know what his face looks like? I'll lastly ask him, he goes, that face? I'll never forget it. He says, "Does it look like this?" And he made the face. He goes, it's you! He goes, "It's you!" <laughs> and they embraced, and they hugged, and they kissed, and everything else. And Baruch Hashem became a complete baal tshuva. He's the fourth one of the brothers in the kollel. So sometimes you see that Hashem gives you gives you gives you a special talent. You have to use it. You have to use that talent. You have to dominate. You have to dominate the every everywhere you can. You have to be like the lion. You have to be a gibral like the lion. The lion is not someone that lets anybody else interfere with his tribe. If you notice the lion, it's called aryeh. Aryeh in Hebrew, also, uh, uh, is also comes is the initial piece. For example, when the aryeh, when the lion hunts the zebra, you'll notice that the aryeh, the, the, uh, the lion, just takes the headpiece and he gives the rest to his tribe. That's where he gets his name, Aryeh. When Adam HaRishon gave him a name, he gave him a name based on his character. He takes one piece, gives the rest to his tribe. But you notice that the Aryeh, the the lion, doesn't let anybody else interfere with his tribe. He doesn't let any foreigners come in. Does not intermarry at all. He doesn't let anybody else come in. doesn't let anybody else interfere, nothing else. Sometimes even if a certain cub within his own tribe, he could kill him. Sometimes he would kill his own son. He could kill his own son or the, the, the lion. Why? In a certain order, a certain level of leadership. A certain system we're sticking to. Obviously we're not animals, we don't kill, but the point is, is that a person, Chazal is trying to teach us, that a person has to be dominating over his truth, over his emit, just like the lion is dominating over his tribe. You have to do everything possible to arrive at the emit, at the truth. You cannot allow yourself to go to sleep without, by still having a safek. if what you said is true and what you said is not true. If what you heard is true and what you heard is not true. If you made a mistake if you made a mistake you have to admit you made a mistake. If you're not sure if you made a mistake, it's even worse than making a mistake. Why? Because now you can either continue in this false pattern of lying to yourself like, no, no, it's not a big deal. Or you can go chase the truth. Why is it such a big deal of saying it's not a big deal? Because as I told you guys the other day, every time a person makes a sin, he moves the bar further. He moves the threshold further. So in the beginning, the biggest sin he would make would be, let's say, to miss minyan. After he missed a few minyanim, now it's not really such a big deal. So now sometimes the biggest sin is missing Tefillah altogether. After he got used to missing tefillah altogether, now all of a sudden he got used to it. It's not a big deal. Now he makes another sin. He he does something else. He eats non-kosher. And you see the sins keep getting worse. Once a person starts looking at girls, in the beginning it's just looking. Then it's touching. Then it's talking. Then it's this. The threshold keeps moving, moving, further and further and further. So when a person sees that he has a doubt, and he says, Ah, this is not a big deal. It's not a big, I have a doubt, but you don't have to know everything. And he goes to sleep comfortably, even though he has a doubt about what he said, or what he thought, or what he read, and so on. He doesn't go after the truth, doesn't plan a way to get to the truth, to arrive at the truth. Then he's risking making the threshold even further, where, okay, now I'm not really sure. Next time, even if I know, I'm still, who cares? The threshold gets worse and worse. Little by little, the person becomes a cofail. So it's not overnight that a person says, oh no, no, I I stopped believing overnight. No, it takes time. It takes a lot of leniencies that you make for yourself. So the Chachamim say you have to have your domination over the Torah, just like the lion has domination over his tribe. And ultimately, Rabotai Ye all of this is to carry out the will of our Father in Heaven. Even though Many of the traits that are mentioned here are negative. Boldness is, has a little bit of arrogance in it. Lightness it sometimes comes as, a, as a, seems like a synonym for uh, being superficial, only worrying about the exterior and things that are meaningless. Being swift could also be a form of being impulsive, meaning not having patience, just doing things right away. And being overly strong can also be viewed as being cruel. So Yehudah ben Tema reminds us that you can use all of these things that are generally looked at as negative. Even then, you can use to serve your Father in Heaven. Same example as we said about all of technology and all of tools. Some people have a writing skill and they can write Chidushim about the Torah. They can write Parashat Shavuah. They can write something that's going to be useful in the world. Some people have writing skills and they write things against Hashem. Here Yehudah ben Tamar is explaining to us that you can use everything that Hashem gave you, either for good or for evil. It's up to you what you're going to use it. You have a memory, you can either remember the Gemara by heart, or you can remember phone numbers. You have the ability to do uh, good calculations in your mind. You can either use that calculation to figure out specific intricate details about halacha, or you can calculate all the people and how much uh, you know. You can fool them in certain things. Everything that Hashem gave you, you can use it as to build a better mikdash or to destroy it. So, here the Yudah Ben Tema is specifically using things that are typically used as negative. And he's telling you, even from the most negative, Hashem gave you the ability to become the most positive. Yeah, you're going to, to it's, it's actually a sin where you're stealing his mind. You're not allowed to steal an idea, you not allowed to steal his mind. There are several sins associated with it. In soccer game, when you try to fool somebody, or in the poker game, when you
1: try to somebody, you steal
0: No. You're not, you're, not, you're not trying to fool somebody as far as to steal his mind when you're playing soccer. You're trying to overcome him in regards to just physically. Beat him with something, him right? right. But like you're like trying to, you're, you're in trying. yeah, you tricked his brain, you tricked his body more than his brain. You tricked his body more than his brain. If you're if you're faster than him, if you're more agile than him, and so on. But when but there's a in a soccer game, it's more of the physicality. It's not uh, if that one particular one-on-one is not going to be uh, a uh, it's it's not a bet. You're not gambling on that specific thing. Whereas, whereas, when you play poker, you're gambling. You're gambling. Uh, you're putting money on the line. And even though you both agree to a certain set of rules, at the end, after he loses or after you lose, neither one of you wants to comply with the rules. But you have to because it's part of the game. But if you really were given a free choice, you would not give them the money. No one free willingly gives the money after they lose. If you had pocket aces and he had pocket deuces. Okay, And you both won all in before the flop. And he got another deuce that uh, went on the river. And he won won everything. And the reality is you're going to want to kill him. Why? Because he just took all your money with an inferior hand, four to one odds. But the reality is that you have to give him the money or else they're going to throw you out and take your money anyway. But him taking the money from you is considered, according to Allah, as 100% stealing. Why? What is stealing? Stealing means that you take something against somebody else's will. That's what stealing is. That's what the money gezel is. is. Not Why an is it fker? <inaudible> F- F- no, it's fker. If no one is looking to claim it, if no one is looking to claim it, meaning if everybody left, would they just leave it there or something? And, no, somebody would. Everybody would claim it. it's mine. You could leave it, but I'm not leaving it. It's not fker. Fker means that you left something for dead. Anyone, it's up for grabs. Whoever wants to take it, that's not. That's not efkel. You can't add to alacha. Cannot add the alacha. You cannot create new rules. You cannot change the emet. That's the point of this entire mishnah. The entire mishnah is trying to tell us that sometimes the emet hurts. Sometimes it forces you to change your life, change your job, change your marriage, change your midot. They ask Rabbi Simei Salant. I love shalom. And he said, what's the most difficult thing in the world? He says to change one midah. He says, yeah, but kvodarab, isn't it more difficult to finish the shas? He says it's much, much easier to finish the whole shas than it is to fix one midah. Meaning if you're, if you're Tommy you do daf yomi, it'll take you a little over seven years to finish the shas. The entire marah. He said it's easier to finish the shas. In seven years, It's e- that's easy. a Seven year battle. To finish the shahs much easier than to change one midah. Why? Because any midah that's worth changing obligates you and it's difficult for you. And you have to sweat over it and you have to change your emit. Because until now, you believe that being angry is okay. Until now, you believe that stealing is okay. Until now, you believe that looking at any woman that moves is okay. Until now, you believe that whatever you were doing is true. That's why you did it. So to change that midah means you have to reverse you have to go back to the beginning before you got this awful thought. And that's a long time back. So it takes a lot of work and a lot of training. But it's possible. And the Gaulmi Vina says that if you came to the world and you didn't fix your midot, what'd you live for? What'd you come to the world If you didn't fix your midot, there's no point in your life. Better if you weren't born. If you think you came to the world to lay some tefillin, keep some Shabbat, eat some tchuling, then that's the reason you came to the world. You came to the wrong world, my friend. You came to the world to become a better human being. Using the mitzvot as tools to become that better human being. Yes? Amen. That's what Shlomo Amalek says. Shlomo Amalek says in Ecclesiastes that... Uh, it's Tov Shemi and Tov, Miyom Amavit, Liyom Ivaldo. It's better to have a good name than good uh, oil, because good name lasts much longer than good oil, meaning money. Good name, meaning that you did mitzvot, you did good things, and people will remember you for all the good things you did. Whereas your money, as soon as you die, they forgot you. They're splitting up your assets as if they were splitting up your body for a stake. They care less about you. People that have a lot of money think that if they have their name on buildings, then people are going to care about them as soon as they die. The reality is, the, the the building that has your name on it is just waiting for a bigger donor so they can remove your name. They care less about you. So Shlomo Melech says that your name is going to carry much more weight than your money. And Yom HaMavet Mi is better also. Dying is better than living. Why? Because... If a person was righteous and he had a good name, then when he died, he knows he go, he's going to an eternal world of good. But when he's born, he's just starting the battle. So, of course, a righteous person is much happier when he dies. Why is he happy? Because he's going to Ghan Eden. He's going to Allah Abba. But when a person is in this world, he was just born, what is the first thing that a baby does to show that he's uh, alive? Right. He cries. Why is he crying? Because he just left Allah Ayam he left Olam and he realizes that work just began. For however long Hashem dictates, he's going to be here and he has to work. And that's why Job says, Adam La'amal Yulad, a person came here to work. So if a person lived a righteous life, his day of death is much better than a day of birth. Because day of birth is when he started working. Day of death is when he went to Olam and he's forever on vacation in a good place. If he lived a wicked life, if he was a Mechalat Shabbat, if he didn't fix his Midot, if he made a lot of excuses for himself for every single thing in the world, if he did not fix himself, then a day of death is unfortunately the day that this real suffering will only begin. But that's the part that people don't like to talk about, but that's just the reality. Yes. you oh, just, just saying hi
1: things, probably, yeah. there was the like you know uh, so uh, uh, sure. uh, uh, this week, uh, first time, like, many Shabbat, and family a place, like, Porta mm-hmm. Vita, like
0: here, and if
1: I would be there
0: it would be a struggle and I just mean, like flew here from that somewhere or something like that so the uh, Parashat Shavua Parashat Ekev says Kimokeshulach says you shall not worship their gods because it's a trap it's a snare for you then later on, a little bit later, it says, "Pesile Elohim tisrefun ba'esh, lotachmod kesef za'av aleh, velakach talach penti va'keshbo ki toivat adonai Elochahu, velotavi toivai b'ticha." Says, first it says, "Don't worship their idols," and then here it says again, "The carved images of their gods." you shall not burn in fire, you shall burn in fire, meaning take their idols and burn them. But that we already know. What is it adding here? you You shouldn't even want, you shouldn't covet and take for yourself the silver and the gold that's on them, lest you be ensnared by it, for it's an abomination of Hashem your God. So the chidush that we have here, that Moshe Rabbeinu tells us, he says, first, don't worship their gods. That's obvious. That's every, every every person with a little bit of da'at, a little bit of sechel, knows you shouldn't worship any idol, anything other than God. But here, he gives us a chidush. A chidush that even 3,300 years later, most people don't know. What's the chidush? He says that even if they have these idols, they have a little gold chain on them with a cross. They have some diamonds. They have some bling bling on them. Cost a million and a half dollars. It says even that, you have to destroy it. You should get to such a point that you shouldn't covet it. You shouldn't want it. Now you are not allowed to have it, but it has to be destroyed with the idol. Why? Because that's the trap. It's not the idol that's the trap. It's not the idol that's the trap. It's the stuff around it that's the trap. Because the idol... Only a Rasha Gamul goes and worships an idol. Only someone that's psychotic, someone that says that's, uh, that's uh, using things like all types of uh, witchcraft and so on, that's not the trap. A normal Jew doesn't worship idols. It's the stuff around it that's the problem. That's what he's talking about, this toy the Hashem. Why? He says, look at what kind of example Moshe Rabbeinu gives us. He says, if it has a silver and gold on them, That's the trap. Why is silver and gold specifically a trap? Why don't he say if some diamonds are there or if there's money there or there's a piece of meat or there's, I don't know, something else. A million and a half different examples that are used as something there. Why is this specifically here? He says because silver and gold, realistically, if I had a bar of gold or somebody had a bar of gold and they brought it as a koban, they brought it as a sacrifice for their idol the guy that took, the, took the, the the bar knows the idol is nothing, doesn't move, doesn't hear, doesn't speak, doesn't nothing. He takes the bar of gold and he wants to use it again. Now when he goes to the market and he says, hey guys, I want to buy a house with this bar of gold. No one knows that this bar of gold was used for idol worship. No one knows it was a sacrifice. Right? So he could use it. Now if no one knows, it's not their fault. But he's saying, if you know that this was used as a sacrifice, you know this was used for, 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 for uh, idolatry, you're not allowed to want it even, because it's considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Why? Because this is where the excuses begin. You're going to say, listen, Hashem, you sent me gold. Okay, so somebody uh, used this gold as a sacrifice, but no one's going to know I'm not going to desecrate your name because no one's going to know that this gold was used for idolatry. It doesn't have any markings on it. It doesn't say made in India on it. And even if it does, it can melt the gold. It can melt the silver and make a new coin out of it. And no one's going to know that uh, it's fine. There's anything wrong with it. Right? That's the excuse. That's the most dangerous excuse in the world. Why? Hashem says, it's not about other people knowing it. It's about I know it. I know it was used to go against me. I know it was used as a tool to go desecrate my name. And you care less about me. You don't care about me. You care about your pocket. And that's toyvat Hashem. That's disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Why? You like the money more than you like me. So now you're going to use all the excuses in the world to go, no, no, I could use this gold. I can melt it and therefore I could use it and so on and so forth. So now Rabotai Karim, this also brings us back to the debate we have about these wigs. A person needs to understand, I told this to a woman today, because somebody asked her a question about these, and I actually use the same verse as a source. A person said, well, wait a minute, what about these people that are wearing wigs, if it's a, uh, is it the actual Abu Zarah, if it's not, so here's the thing, the wigs in India, is not the actual Avodah Zarah, it's the korban, it's the sacrifice. Which means, that it was used for idolatry. And this specific verse is one of many verses in the Torah that tells us that not only are we not allowed to worship idols, we're also not allowed to benefit out of anything that's associated with idolatry. Needless to say, if something was used as a sacrifice, like hair, and then they sell it, or they give it to you for free, or you want to put it on the wall, if you have any benefit out of it, you are violating the Torah 100%. To what extent? There's a machloket. Some say it's the same extent as worshipping the idol itself, where it's better off, aligl. It's better off you would die and not wear the wig. There is an opinion that says no, it's not as bad as a but it's still a huge sin. They have to chuba for. Either way, Karim, here we see that the Torah uses something very, very peculiar. It says that even the gold, that you could melt it again and reform it in a way that no one in the world can tell it's the same gold. Even the biggest experts in the world are not going to be able to tell that this gold used to be the gold from Sweden, because you remelted it, and now you say it's made in India, or it's made in uh, Taiwan, or it's made in uh, whatever uh, some other company. You remelted it. No one is ever going to be able to tell it's the same gold. This is why thieves in, in, in past history would always want to steal gold and not money because because money you can track with the serial numbers. Gold you can't. You just melt it. So now, when you don't know that it came from Avodah Zarah, Hashem says you're still not allowed to use it. Why? Because I know. So what about when you do know? When you do know it came from Avodah Zarah. Why? Because 98% of all the hair in the world comes from Avodah Zarah. So you know it came from India. So there's no excuse there. There's no excuse when it comes to the Abu Dazara of wigs. So here, what does this have to do with Shabbat? This has to do with Shabbat where if you look at the entire Torah, there's 12 times in the Torah that Hashem says, you're not allowed to violate Shabbat and if you do, I'm going to kill you. He says it literally. I'm going to kill you in this world, in the next world and so on. And every single time that it mentions death penalty for Shabbat, He also says, Abu Dazara. He mentions the sin of idol worship. Why? Because in the eyes of Hashem, a person that violates Shabbat is considered 100% an idol worshipper. Because the whole point of keeping Shabbat, the Gemara Masekhet Shabbat says, is to act as a witness, to testify that Hashem created the world in six days. Which means that if you choose not to act as this witness to Hashem's creation, then what are you doing? You're saying Hashem didn't create the world, you are saying somebody else created the world, or you did, you're the master of yourself. And that's why a person is considered an idol worshiper. So here we see that Hashem does not accept idol worshippers or anything associated with them, but the most dangerous thing that's a, that's, that connects both idolatry and Chilul Shabbat and any other sin is the excuses we make for ourselves to justify the sin. Oh no no! This, this this it's 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 this and it's this and it's that. That's the excuses is the poison. That's the most dangerous thing. Anything else? I'll finish for today.
1: Is a person like Michael a
0: are you asking the questions to hear yourself talk, or are you asking the questions because you really want to oh, yeah, in the answer?
1: I, I feel like he doesn't even believe the stuff that, he, that he, he says. I thought he was just doing it for body. Well, he's
0: still gonna get gained on on. Uh, he's definitely uh, uh, after money, but uh, he's representing idolatry. So regardless of whether he believes it or not, he's, cur- he's considered a mean. He's considered someone that's the worst in the worst category of human being on earth. He brings people away from Torah. So he's actually even worse than someone that's only an idol worshiper by, by himself. Somebody called uh, Michael Brown. Idol worshiper. Tonight of worship. Mean. No. Loan shark. Loan shark. No, it's not loan shark. Next? No. Now we're finished. Your questions are done. You asked your questions. You ran away. No more questions from you.
1: No more questions from you. Today you finished. Today
0: you disrespect the tala. You don't get questions. Right now. Next. Amen.